Shut up and sit down. And welcome once again to Lords of Pain Radio's Aftershock. This time taking a look at WrestleMania 35. It's the biggest show of the year, and all kinds of historical type stuff went on. And I don't even know that historical's the right word in this scenario. It should have just been historic, I suppose. But you know what? I wanted to put the all on there, and I'm surprised I can talk at all because right before we went on the air here, I, I, I took a drink of my coffee that is sitting in front of me, and even though I made it 20 minutes ago, it's still just ridiculously hot, and I, I'm, I'm frankly kind of amazed that I can speak at this moment. Um, I'm rocking the coffee, but of course, on the other side of the pond here, my co-host, my pal, uh, your pal, he's rocking a, a cup of, of tea, I would presume, it's my friend and yours, Samuel Plan. What is going on, man? What are you drinking? Tea. Uh, ooh, but, shocking. Yeah, it's just, just uh, normal black tea. It's not even got caffeine in it. Really? That's, that's how dull I am. <laughs> <laughs> what is the point, man? I mean, I at yeah. least have an excuse. I, I woke up at four in the morning and went and picked up boxes for a few hours and and then came home and like washed some laundry and... And so, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I, I need a little coffee just to get over this hump here in the middle of the day. I'm usually napping by this point. Nice. But what yeah. time is it there, well, anyways? I mean, I'm, I'm used to it being like the middle of the night. It's 25 to 7 in the evening, so it's a lovely time to be uh, to be sat doing a podcast rather than at 25 to 7 in the morning, which is pretty much what we would have been doing yesterday had the show gone live like it was about 12 hours ago that's how because it didn't finish till like half past five in the morning and obviously we need like a grace period before we actually start the show so because because we 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 have to we have to pee you guys (laughs) and uh, actually when uh, we were messaging back and forth and you were telling me that you had a power outage i was literally falling to sleep while we were messaging on twitter so it's kind of a blessing in disguise that that happened I'm sure you would have woken up as soon as we got to the opening match of the main card. Yeah. But, you know, we would have had to slog through the pre-show first, though, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, the pre-show wasn't terrible or anything. But uh, WrestleMania overall, not a bad show by any stretch of the imagination. I found it rather enjoyable, as a matter of fact. Uh, I saw a lot of people really kind of lamenting uh, that everything after Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston was really kind of a slog. Uh, to use that term again, um, but I didn't really think so. I thought that everything moved along at a decent pace, and that you know, I mean, everything was okay. There were a few things that I was kind of scratching my head over, but I mean, that's you know, par for the course when you're dealing with a show with that many friggin' matches on it. There's going to be one or two things that happen that make you just go, huh? But I mean, specifically speaking of uh, the U.S. title match, I, I, I genuinely did not expect Rey Mysterio to get choked out in about a minute. So that was. That was a bit odd. I was actually looking forward to that match. I thought that could have been like a potential show stealer just because of who was involved, you know. But no, no, not so much. Not so much. It seems as though Ray's Aquaman outfit went to waste and he got choked out. So Was it not? I thought it was uh, Mysterio. I, was it Mysterio? I, 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 all I know is I, it was green and I thought I saw scales. I, I it, it could have been either one, frankly. I'm shocked he hasn't done Mysterio before, but I suppose it would be kind of difficult to wrestle a decent match with a, a fishbowl on your head. Fish yeah. 
Well, he had the it's because he had the purple cape on when he came out as well. See as that? Yeah, that was what I so. see. I haven't seen I haven't seen Aquaman yet, so for all I know, he sports a purple cape in that movie. But traditionally, though, he doesn't, right? In like the comics and stuff, he doesn't ever have a cape. Not so. the, not to my knowledge. I'm, I'm not exactly the most well versed fellow on Aquaman, but uh, you know, I know enough. Like. But I, I don't believe I've ever seen the guy in a purple cape. But the, initially, when he came out, I saw the purple cape, and I was like, okay, he's doing Mysterio. It seems a bit, you know, obvious. But finally, you know, he's done Daredevil and, and like, the Phantom and all these other things over the years, the Joker and whatnot. And it seems like Mysterio was really kind of, you know, glaring in his absence. But uh, it, the, the mask certainly didn't look like anybody, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, yeah, you got me. Yeah, but, well... I feel like it's probably not the most important part of the show. Oh, I thought it was. I mean, you know, <laughs> what was Rey Mysterio wearing? I mean, that that's the just like the night before, like the most important, if you go by Twitter and, 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 and social media reaction, the most important part of the Hall of Fame was, well, of course, you know, poor Bret Hart being attacked, but also, you know, that Andrade and Charlotte are officially dating. Uh, that, that seemed to be the biggest part of the show uh, based on reaction. So I, I don't know. I don't know. But. That's a whole other topic for another day. Are you going to write about that? Because that seems right up your alley of something to write about, just chastising the sweet bejesus out of that weirdo fan. Uh, no, and i tell you why, because... You don't want to I've give been, it the lip service. Yes, and I've been kind of upset uh, with the kind of coverage it's gotten on social media and from other outlets as well, because it's like, that's the whole reason why someone like that does something like that, is to get the attention. Very true, very so, true. So, I, I you know... Um, I'm kind of loath to even discuss it because it was about the Hart Foundation and he's taken that moment he's taken that moment away from Natty, from Brett and from obviously the dearly departed Jim. So I think people should just stop talking about the knobhead and and and, uh, and not give him the time of day. Though, though to be honest, I have to admit that you know if there was any good that came out of it, uh, seeing Dash Wilder just walk up and casually <laughs> knock him the fuck out was one of the best videos I've seen in quite some time, as a matter of fact. Because it was just like, it was entirely casual. He just walked up, knocked him out, walked off. <laughs> it, was, it was... Yeah, I mean, it, it was well-deserved uh, in my estimation, but yeah, let's not give any more lip service to that. Um, we have a big show to talk about. We've got a couple hours to do it, and I'm scheduled for a couple hours at least. I don't think we exactly want to be here all evening. Uh, I've got other things to do today, I know. I've got more laundry to do, and such and and here in i don't know probably about an hour or so you're probably going to hear lots of dogs barking and stuff as my girlfriend gets home so you know we've got that to look that is for. an awful well, awful thing to say about your girlfriend the dogs love her it was it was a joke i was implying that you never mind that my girlfriend's a dog were you, were you implying that my lovely german girlfriend just, no, no, no. is a dog no no no, no, no don't if you if you say I... anything about a german shepherd i swear I was I was implying that you were implying that. Oh, okay. So that makes it better. Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, it right makes on. it better for me. It makes it does make it better for you. It, it absolutely. I mean, she's going to be in Germany later this year. That's not too far away. She could probably you know hunt you down and throw things at you or something. Well, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but it's kind of what everybody in this country is doing to each other at the minute. So it, she can get in line. This is true. This is true. I mean, well, and with the way things are going, you know, she may not be able to get from Germany to <laughs> Very true. Yes, that's very true as well. Uh, but I digress. Um, it, it was a. I really was looking forward to this WrestleMania for reasons that are um, 
not exactly the traditional ones. Uh, as has been the case here on the last few Aftershocks, I've had to admit that I have not been keeping up with the product as much as I really kind of wish that I had. Uh, I've been working like a lot. There's been some stuff going on at my second job where there's like, you know, we lost some people. And so I've had to work more hours and, you know, putting in 60 hour weeks has been really kind of, I haven't had time to watch a lot of stuff. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I've been spending most of my time sleeping and trying to maintain a relationship. Uh, sometimes both. It's just like, hey, I'm going to hold your hand while I sleep. And that just has to be enough. Um, so it's been a bit difficult. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with stuff. I crammed in like a, a solid month's worth of Raw and SmackDown in the few days before WrestleMania just to make sure I had all my ducks in a row. I had been keeping up with what's going on, but not viewing it, you know. Uh, but I did finally get around to watching most of it. I watched the Hulu version, which is very abbreviated. Um, so, you know, it kind of was what it was. I wasn't exactly hyped for it in the traditional sense of I've been watching everything. I'm on the edge of my seat to see how these stories end. Uh, I was excited for it, for the historic stuff that was going on. Of course, we had Kofi Kingston getting a shot at Daniel Bryan to potentially become the first African-American uh, WWE champion, if you don't count The Rock. Um, and that I, I don't want to get into that debate. Uh, I, I think in it, but I, I, my, my little two cents on it, I, I think that uh, uh, visuals pay, play a, a lot into things of that nature. And frankly, just to put it bluntly, The Rock doesn't look like a black man. He looks like a Samoan man. Um, and so representation as it pertains to just, you know, a little kid sitting there and feeling like I could do that one day. Kofi Kingston brings something different to the table than Dwayne Johnson did. Let's just put it that way. Um, and, and so that was momentous. And, of course, the main event being women for the first time in, in history, uh, you know, at least of WrestleMania, that, that was momentous in and of itself. There was also a lot of really cool stuff going on. You know, Kurt Angle's last match, which kind of didn't exactly go as I anticipated it would go. Uh, what would Rey Mysterio be wearing, I think, was the hot topic that was on everybody's mind, um, and we'll play Penny. We'll, we'll be talking about that a lot. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of stuff going on, and and also, I mean, again, I don't mean to just be the guy who talks about his chick all the time, but it was cool to me because this was kind of – my girlfriend is not a wrestling fan, historically speaking, but she's gotten really into Becky Lynch ever since we got together about six, seven months ago. Um, and so this was like – this was perfect, really, kind of to introduce somebody as a fan. Not you know, like her first two favorites were Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch, and look who's in the main event. You know, she doesn't so much like Ronda anymore, but geez, you know, I mean, can you have a much better main event of WrestleMania your first time out than your favorite wrestler really kind of being crowned the man, for lack of a better term? Um, that's pretty damn cool, and I was looking forward to seeing her react. I bought her a Becky Lynch shirt and all that good stuff. You know, she's wearing it today, um, and. So that was cool, and I was excited about it because I knew that you, Sam, would be excited about it uh, due to the fact that Seth Rollins was going for the championship. I knew that that was going to make for a fun show here, and there were a lot of ancillary reasons, I suppose, to be excited about this WrestleMania, but I can't say that I was on the edge of my seat for any single storyline. Um, did you really have any different vibe well, well, going into it? How? What exactly do you mean when you say so? You weren't. It, there wasn't like a single storyline that had you fully captured your imagination. Do you mean? I, I really think that the main storylines going into this WrestleMania were very ham-fisted. Uh, the yeah, the whole women's thing was just a clusterfuck based on yeah. what I saw of it. It just seemed it. 
Honestly, you said it last time, and I think that you put it perfectly. There was way too much time between the Rumble and WrestleMania this year. Uh, it seemed like they just kind of slogged along and really kind of dragged things out to a degree cool. that things got – they started repeating themselves, especially in that women's uh, storyline. And, I mean, when it comes to, like, Seth and Brock, nothing happened leading up to it. There was a lot well, of – well, I mean, what I'd say is that I, for, the, for the most part, I agree. I mean, I think that the, the build to this year's WrestleMania started off strong with yeah. the Royal Rumble. And you sort of, you know, and I remember doing the pond with Maverick and Doc, um, uh, the, you know, that week. And we were all quite, quite excited for where things were going. And then Elimination Chamber was a great pay-per-view. Um, uh, and and I don't think we got to cover that one enough shock, did we? But it was a great pay-per-view. And, uh, you know, so that was good. And things sort of... And then it just sort of very steadily got more and more and more ridiculous on, I felt, pretty much every front. So in a weird way, uh, with the Seth and Brock thing, uh, I was almost relieved that nothing was happening because it was like, it, it, was, it was too extreme. You had the women, the women's feud with Ronda and Becky and, and Charlotte, where, like you say, they just, it was just like, what extra stuff can we do? I mean, how many how many times can Becky be hurt? You know, yeah, and it was all injuries and suspensions, and they'd brawl, and then someone would get fined, and then it it was it was Becky's title match, but then it was Charlotte's title match, but then it was Becky's again, then they had to rest, and it was just it got ridiculous to the point where going into the show on Sunday, I was actually just of the mindset I just wanted to be done, like, and it's a shame that I was driven to that point about it by WWE's ham-fistedness. But, you know, the, 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 the Brock Lesnar stuff, and I was saying this to our Australian friend, Sir Sam at Lord's Pain as well, uh, a while back on Twitter. Um, it, it is a shame that they left because there was so much character depth in Seth's arc that had led up to this match that was really culminating with this match over the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, and they left all of that on the table because whether they realize it's there or not, I don't even know. But... Um, uh, the and and yes, the storyline stuck to that kind of now cliche territory of you're holding the the business hostage and people deserve full time champion and be a workhorse champion. The exact same thing that's been for the last like two three years. Yes, absolutely. Um, but for me, I mean, obviously, it's offset by the fact that I'm a huge Seth Rollins fan, so immediately I am going to enjoy it more regardless. Um, but I think, because if you remember the roar after Rumble, I don't know if you saw it, Seth came out and cut a, a genuinely quite emotional promo about how he only ever wanted to wrestle to headline WrestleMania and Triple H count. They had an emotional moment and stuff. Right. And then the, and then the emotion of the of the Shield stuff when Roman came back and they did the Shield stuff at Fastlane. And then they, they gave it a little heat in the go-home segment on Raw last week and stuff. And, and I think that has helped, at least from my, or helped from my perspective to... Because um, it does kind of play into that character arc as well, but it but it has helped to offset the the cliche ground they've otherwise trodden. And I think on the night, and this applies to to most of the matches we saw, right, for me in, at least, uh, the 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 um, any issues I had with the build were more than made up for with the way it went on the night of the show last night. Well, I mean that was going to be the saving grace all along, really, for me. Uh, you know, it you knew that that when they got in the ring, everybody, like not just Seth and Brock, but I mean, everybody on the show, you knew when they got in the ring, that was really going to tell the tale at the end of the day, you know, um, and the build kind of was what it was. Um, but I mean, like seriously coming into this show, I, I think probably the hottest storyline in terms of one that actually had me engaged was Kofi and Daniel Bryan. 
And even that got incredibly redundant because how many fucking times does Kofi Kingston have to earn a title shot? Um, it, it, it was like every week, you know, and, and I get, oh, yeah, the authority for some reason doesn't like Kofi Kingston. I mean, I loved that Daniel Bryan pulled out the whole B-plus player thing, and that was all very brilliantly done, I thought, and very, a very nice way to play into what Daniel Bryan has become, the new Daniel Bryan, as we're still calling him for some reason like six months later. Um, you know, it, that was all well and good, but the actual execution of building it was redundant, just like everything else seemingly that led into this show. And I mean, it, it, the show almost itself seemed somewhat anticlimactic. Uh, were it not for the fact that it was going to be the thing that really was the saving grace of all the ham-fisted clusterfuck of storylines that came up, that led up to it, it, it almost seemed like it was anticlimactic because it's like, geez, this has been pounded into the dirt for the last like month. Uh, really, what it boils down to, I, I think they need to get rid of uh, that fast lane pay-per-view. Um, and and in doing so, what they need to do is they need to have a I'm wondering if if part of it has to do with them really genuinely making not just lip service, but genuinely making a concerted effort to give the fans what they want and almost somewhat play it by ear. Um, I I don't think that the Kofi stuff would have happened had the reaction not come at Elimination Chamber. I I don't know who Daniel Bryan would have wound up facing, but I really get the feeling it would not have been Kofi Kingston in any way, shape, form, or fashion if the fans had not rallied around Kofi over the course of the last couple of months, which is all well and good. But they, traditionally speaking, the best WrestleManias and storylines leading to WrestleMania seem to come from, okay, you have Royal Rumble, you have one pay-per-view in between there to settle other stuff. Let's just say it's Elimination Chamber to settle you know, who's fighting for the titles on the show that the Royal Rumble winner was not a part of. you know, um, And then from that point forward, you build the WrestleMania for like five or six weeks, and hopefully you would have storylines and matches that would be able to support holding on for that long and building for that long. This year they didn't have that. That's not to say that the matches weren't good and that there wasn't the potential there for those storylines to be very good. It's just that they did not execute them very well at all. The storylines. Yes, the storylines. Yeah. The matches were executed and, just fine, in my opinion, but the storylines well, were not executed for shit. Like I say, I think it got worse as the season went along, and I think that there was a, uh, there's been an element of, of panic about the product for a couple of months now that hasn't come off well on TV. It's like they're scrambling around for anything to try and gain some kind of traction and, and look good is, on, on Is them. that because they're trying to give the fans what they want is it does that translate as panic i think it's difficult to say i mean wwe are notoriously tone deaf they have a bad habit of misinterpreting signals that they're sent fans to be fair to wwe sometimes have a bad habit of asking for something then rejecting it when they get given it oh of course um but i think you know i don't put too much stock in um uh, in the more uh, extremely cynical points of view towards WWE, but I do think that there is an element of they're aware that there's a landscape that's changing in, on the continent in the wrestling industry. I think they're very much aware that AEW, are, 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 you know, are on the lips of a lot of of wrestlers doing their rounds. Uh, they've, they've, you know, as, as of this show going out, there still seems like Dean Ambrose is pretty much now 
definitely gone from the company. Um, you know, there's been talents expressing frustrations. I think they're trying to please. I think it's a weird situation where they're trying to please themselves. They're trying to please talents. They're trying to please fans all the while not really knowing what any one of those three actually properly want and without coming up with, I mean, the, the issue is, and I've said this on the pond, it's become this, this monster at the minute WWE's problems in which you, you, you solve one and two more present themselves because everything's so deeply rooted in the way the product is structured, the way pay-per-views, the pay-per-view model is structured, the freedom they're given with the network, their inability to rein their bad habits in their talent recruitment system Everything is is cockeyed at the minute, and everything needs addressing. So I think it's it's just a culmination of so many different factors. I think, um, you know, from the overloaded roster uh, to to putting on you know seven and a half hour long pay per views, uh, you, you name it. And and but I mean, the interesting thing with WrestleMania was why that while the storylines were all sort of just awful for the most part. At the, at the, at the, in the best instances, the storylines were inoffensive, I found, um, in terms of the way that they built the matches on Sunday. But in the last week, doing the alternative pre-show on, on my show, Sports Entertainment's Dead, uh, doing the predictions with Mav on the right side of the pond, was able to talk myself up a little bit more positively. Because uh, there is something about WrestleMania weekend that does tend to, even when the product has been awful, still get you at least mildly oh, excited in my experience. Um, and so I did. I did go in with positive vibes into the show, and I thought that that was then those. What helped was the matches on the pre-show were all good. The the matches in sort of the first hour were all good. Then they carried on being good, and it just felt like for the, at least for the first four hours of that seven and a half hours, uh, they kept getting everything. It felt like they were getting everything right, and that that builds up a certain amount of positivity, so that when you get to something you're not looking forward to, in my case, Miz and Shane. Because you're already you've already been put in a positive mindset, you kind of you're able to give a bit as well as take a bit, uh, and so I, I actually even enjoyed something like the, the Shane match, which I still think he has no right being booked on on cards. And the overriding lesson for WrestleMania this year for me was what we were saying on the pond ahead of time that they are fully capable of nailing one of these extra uber long shows and and doing it well. Um, but the, the lesson this year because they did learn lessons from last year as well, which we'll get into as we go through. But the overriding lesson from this year is that you're now at a stage where you are having to crowbar part-timers in to the point where they're the parts that are now clogging the show up rather than helping the show move along. So my, if I was to put my thoughts about WrestleMania 35 into one line, it would be that it, would t- it was two matches away from being great, and the two matches that stopped it from being great were Kurt Angles and Triple H's. I would even kind of disagree. I, I thought that Triple H Batista was fine, frankly. Uh, you know, it, it, it was what it, it was what it was. I mean, and I, it, it, that was one of those that that it started slow, but but then when they kind of got their feet under them, it's. It, I think it turned out all right. Uh, for but, me, for, it was it, well, and I, I've said this to Mav on social media today. I I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting it in isolation. My issue with it was because I think it was a good good match for what it was worth. My issue was to put a very deliberately paced plodding Triple H match on that deep into a show that's right. like 25 minutes long <clears throat> is obviously a bad idea. And it was something that killed WrestleMania 29 stone dead. Uh, and now it's killed, you know, or, well, it didn't kill it stone dead, but really took the wind out of the sails of a show that needed something exciting to pick the crowd back up at that point. 
Um, had it have gone on, you know, had you swapped it with something else, then maybe it would have been fine. But I think, it, and ultimately, it was just a bizarre match, right? Because you've got Triple H's career on the line, and then he won. So like that, what was the point in that? And then Batista was there, and he has he's had one match, and now he's retired. And it was it's really weird that that match even exists. It, I, I really wish that you know, for all the reality type stuff that they bring into things nowadays. I really wish that they had just taken a realistic approach to that to that match. Just let it be Dave's last match. Just let Dave be like, "Hey man, I wanted to come back and and you know, have one last match for you fans and I want it to be against Triple H because he's my greatest opponent even though John yeah. Cena was his greatest opponent." Um, you yeah. know, <laughs> the, I, it could have been that it, it, well, yeah, honestly, but yeah. It could have been that simple, though. I mean, it really could have been that simple, and everybody would have been fine with it. But instead, it was all, again, ham-fisted, and they had to shove all this other crap in there. And it just turned into I – mean, we all knew coming in – we all knew the score, okay? It's been no secret for a very long time that Dave Batista has wanted this match as his last match for years now. And so we all knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, we knew Triple H was not going to lose. We knew it was going to be Dave's last match regardless. Why not just embrace the fact that this was common knowledge? Instead, they turned it into a big thing, and it really kind of the, – the, the storyline aspect of it really fell flat for me. I, I know that it was supposed to be hot, and, oh, Ric Flair got beat up. And, I mean, really, at this point, who gives a shit, you know? I mean, yeah. um, and not, I love me some Ric Flair, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, it just – it felt disingenuous from the beginning. And that's what ultimately really kind of the match felt like to me. I enjoyed the match for what it was, but everything surrounded it felt disingenuous. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a really good word to use because I think the the reason why the three title matches this year, the women's uh, WWE Universe title matches, uh, were all um, the, the reason people so passionately were invested in Seth, Kofi, and Becky all winning was because they felt genuine. It felt what Seth was saying about wanting to be Brock felt genuine. What Kofi was saying about wanting to be Brian felt genuine. What Becky was saying about beating Ronda and Charlotte felt genuine. So when you get something that, like you say, feels disingenuine, it's you kind of almost, without even realizing you're doing it, reject it because you're right. It's, you, it's these storylines are ultimately like any storyline meant to immerse you by convincing you. Uh, about the stakes and about the emotions and the character arcs and all the rest of it. And, and that just didn't, you know, you had a lot, lot, like three, four segments leading up to it. And it just, it was, yeah, it was all a bit weird. I mean, it, it felt thrown together. Had Batista come along and, and, you know, and said, well, I just want one last match. Let's make it a blinder, no disqualification, whatever. You know, and you could, you could have even announced it ahead of time as saying, Batista wants one last match, and then introduced some hostility as they built towards it. You know, Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and then, and then just let the fans choose who they want to cheer for. You know, I mean, it it didn't. The thing was that Dave, of course, has gone on record over the last few years, and not only saying that he wanted this specific match, but also saying that he wanted to be a heel. And I get it. You know, you want to go out how you want to go out. It's nice that they, you know, that they gave Dave what he wanted. He, I don't think that WWE has has really paid Dave Batista the proper amount of respect that he deserves for his his contributions. Absolutely not. Uh, during the time that he was on top of things, you know, he John Cena was the man and all that good stuff. But but Dave Batista was he was the animal. I mean, and he had. 
that didn't get booed out buildings. Not remotely. Um, and he was good at his damn job, you know. Um, and I mean, frankly, you know, when he quit, he was at his absolute peak. You know, talk about going out on top. Batista was as good as he had ever been, better than he had ever been when yeah. he had that promo in the middle of the ring in the wheelchair and everything. So, I mean, and and WWE has never really given his contributions the proper respect. So, I I, I am appreciative of the fact that they wanted to give Dave what he wanted. Um, even if it took Chris Jericho insinuating he might follow him to AEW to get it fucking done. Um, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. That having been said, it really did not serve the story overall. And I mean, we'll talk about that, I suppose, when we get there. Uh, we, we've spent about a half an hour now just kind of casually talking about stuff. We're going to blow through a few of these matches. They weren't. There were a lot of fairly inconsequential matches on the card, um, not because they weren't good matches, but because they, like, like we've spoken about, uh, some of them didn't have any build, and some of them had a piss-poor build. And it just boils down to what happened in the ring. And some of what happened in the ring, not exactly a whole lot of meat on them bones. Um, But we'll break that all down here in just one moment. Before we get to that, though, we are going to take a quick break. I'm going to take another drink of my coffee and see if it's still piping hot. And if so, when we come back, you'll probably hear me talking like this as we discuss the Cruiserweight title match between Tony Nese and Buddy Murphy to kick off our pre-show coverage. And, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to blow through some of it. We're going to spend some time talking about some of it. It's going to be a fun time. I've been looking forward to this maybe more than WrestleMania itself. We'll be right back at you right after this. He wasn't at WrestleMania, so I had to do it. And you know what? I fucking forgot to make your button. <laughs> I completely forgot, man. I completely intended to and just absolutely forgot to do it. Now I feel poopy. Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I could do it. Burn it down! That, no, no. <laughs> that was never really... ruined my favorite. <laughs> well, you know. Well, that's not really the theme song. That's really just kind of the the pause. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that we had ourselves a pre-show that was just packed full of matches. How do you like that transition right there? Uh, uh. We began, <laughs> as I spoke about before we went to break there, we kicked things off on the pre-show with the Cruiserweight title match, Tony Nese versus Buddy Murphy. I was glad to see that there were a fair amount of people actually in the seats to see this one. Uh, it made me feel less bad. Uh, because, I mean, it, it always makes me feel kind of bad when these early, you know, when the first pre-show match goes on and everybody's, like, still getting nachos and stuff, and there's, like, four people sitting at ringside. It, I'm glad that didn't turn out that way for these guys. It was far from a packed house, but there were a lot of people there to see this match, and um, I, I have to freely admit I've not been keeping up with 205 Live. I've supported it, of course, ever since its inception, and I still support it. I just really haven't had the time to sit and watch it, uh, as I've said and so I really kind of am, am I'm drawing a blank as to what the motivation behind this match was. Uh, I, I don't know why Tony Nese and Buddy Murphy had an issue with one another, if there was an issue or if it was just like, hey, Tony Nese is the number one contender. Uh, I've been a big Tony Nese fan ever since the Cruiserweight Classic. I enjoy the guy and everything, but I have to admit that uh, he, he's not exactly Mr. Charisma, and I, I am not entirely sure why Tony Nese, of all people, was the guy to dethrone Buddy Murphy. Uh, oh. Which is what happened. Uh, I'm not mad at it necessarily. It just seemed that after all of the build that they've given Buddy Murphy as just this raging badass with a chokehold on the belt, really kind of making him Neville 2.0, Tony Nese was the guy who knocked him off. Uh, Again, none beloved for Tony Nese, but why the fuck Tony Nese? Well, um, 
I mean, from a from a literal point of view, they obviously did the tournament on uh, on Tour Five Live that that Tony won to get the the title shot. And I think from a a, a kind of a on a the level of subtext, what what I found interesting about it was that you had you know Buddy Murphy's been presented as the juggernaut of of the cruiserweight division, and that he's just under you know he only just meets the weight uh, the weight limit and stuff, so he's bigger, stronger than most of them. Uh, but Tony Nese is no small dude himself and could almost be seen as the premier athlete as a match for the juggernaut. So I think there was some intrigue, natural intrigue in the match from that point of view. Yeah, also I mean, run, that, that, run... that drew me in just as soon as I heard what the match was. That interested yeah. me at the very least. Um, there was there was some, I mean, I'm not too familiar with 205 Live um, myself at the moment. So if 205 Clive is listening, do forgive me if I get anything wrong, my friend. But um uh, I believe that there was a, for some time an angle where the two of them were like, you know, best buddies, and that that Buddy Murphy was something of a, a quasi mentor to Tony right. Nese and uh, stuff. And then that was the insinuation that I got over. from commentary. Commentary kept yeah. mentioning how well they knew one another, and I was like, okay, they must have been teaming recently. Yeah, so that was that was the kind of the thing. But I mean, it's it's I don't really know why they've given the championship to Tony Nice from a meta perspective because he doesn't exactly strike me as someone you can build a, a successful brand around. I mean, he's a great athlete, but um, he has all the charisma of a loaf of bread. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's sad that 205 Live, I feel like had they have given Ali the championship last year and they gave it to Alexander, 205 Live could be in a much better place than it is. But I think, you know, silly decisions as to who they're going to have carry that championship have have prevented the brand from really becoming more than, as the rumors say, WWE see it, just another hour of television, quote unquote. So, um, but the Matt, I mean, Buddy, to be fair to Buddy Murphy, you know, he, he's not the most, he doesn't um, inspire as a character, but his, this is now the third, uh, the third of, I, can't, I feel like I'm missing one, but this is at least the third pre show match that he's wrestled this year um, that has absolutely slayed it. I thought it was a great match. I thought it, it really got the fans who were already sat down involved. Uh, and I really enjoyed it and look forward to, to It's funny because this isn't the first year where I feel like the matches on the pre-show uh, were would have been better on the main show, uh, replacing some of the matches we actually got on the main show. But we'll get into that as we go along. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was a really great match. I, I didn't quite get the motivation behind the match necessarily because I haven't been watching, frankly. Um, and, and the ending left me a bit confused because I, I, I just I, I'm not entirely sure, again, why after all this build, Tony Nese was the guy to dethrone Buddy Murphy. Uh, am I mad at it? No. Was the match good? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, no harm, no foul, I suppose. But uh it, it it did leave me scratching my head just a little bit, to be honest. Um, but then again, I don't know exactly what's going on on 205 Live at the moment. So for all I know, Tony Nese is the absolute best candidate to knock off Buddy Murphy right now. Uh, so, I, again, I, you know, ignorance is, is not bliss necessarily, but I, I plead ignorance, I suppose, in this case as to why maybe this was the way to go. Uh, but it was a solid match and a great way to really kind of kick off the festivities. It it really kind of set the pace for what was a, ma- a night full of pretty strong matches. Um, we, of course, followed that up with the second annual WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal. I'm interested in seeing whether or not next year they're going to follow uh, X-Pac's suggestion and name it the China Women's Battle Royal, China Memorial Battle Royal or something. That would be pretty cool because it then would- you, would have, you would have the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, you know, his battle. Oh, nice. yeah. And then the ninth wonder of the yeah. world. 
that would be that would be pretty sweet actually that's uh, pretty that would, cool yeah I, I would i would actually really enjoy that uh but that is what that uh, can i just say right uh, real quick i, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this and anything but it, it's really kind of bullshit that luna vachon got put in the hall of fame in the fucking legacy wing mm. why why couldn't we have had an induction for luna vachon i mean you want to talk about like a trailblazer at I don't think that anybody aside from maybe like Sherry Martell and Sherry Martell really to me, Booker T nailed it when it was like all these people talking about the women's revolution and this and that and the other. Sherry Martell is, was the trailblazer of that women's revolution if you ask my humble opinion. But it really kind of bothered me that Luna Vachon was really kind of given just the bare minimum of like, oh, yeah, and Luna's in there too. It, that bugged me. But I digress. Uh, the women's battle royal. Uh, I was expecting maybe some like surprise entrance or something, but uh, not so much. Uh, you know, because I mean, only a portion of the field was really announced. Um, I, I don't know if Candice was Candice LeRae was was announced, but she was in there. Um, uh, I really liked uh, that Lana was dressed like Captain Marvel. That looked pretty cool. Um, but apart from that, this was really just kind of a battle royal. Um, Asuka was, you know, of course the favorite, and did anybody get more of a raw deal coming into this WrestleMania than fucking Asuka? And oh my you know, god! You know what? We would. What hit me this morning when I was because uh, obviously you spend the day after WrestleMania just digesting everything, thinking about it, and what I realized was why the hell? I mean, I, you know, it's a whole other conversation as to why they felt the need to put the SmackDown title into the women's main event. But we, you know, because we've spent time on this show and other members of LOP Radio spent time on their shows talking about who Asuka might have faced at WrestleMania for the title. And, you know, we were always like, there's not really, you know, it's Sonya Deville, man, who, who, and it struck me this morning, why the hell would you have had Alexa Bliss as the bloody guest, quote, unquote, guest host of WrestleMania when you could have had Asuka versus Alexa opposite the, the main event if you weren't going to do Asuka versus Charlotte? Is, which, I, I'm not in the loop. Is Alexa hurt? I have no idea. Oh, she may be. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I, she I has know. not done anything in a long time. Maybe she's, she's just been doing sure. other stuff. Like if she's hurt, then she's been hurt for a minute, man. But yeah, you, you're absolutely bang on. Like what a raw deal for Asuka. I was happy. That absolutely. Made, I was happy she got made a center point of the battle rogues. If she'd have just been like tossed out unceremoniously, then that's even worse. But uh, at least they had the good sense. I mean, I enjoyed. I liked the fact it didn't get gimmicky. I liked the fact it was kept fairly straightforward. I liked the fact that there were some neat interactions in there. Um, yeah. So generally speaking, I was happy with it. I did feel like, though, and I don't know whether this is going to be a, a controversial point with some people listening or not, but I think WWE believe WrestleMania 35 portrayed them as a company that loves women's wrestling, and I don't think it did. I think WrestleMania 35 actually revealed that because I don't believe for one second that the women weren't ever going to main event this show when Ronda Rousey turned up at the Royal Rumble last year. Like, as soon as she showed up, I thought it was written in stone that this WrestleMania was going to be headlined by female talent, not to take away from what they've achieved. Because if anything, my issue is that this first women's headlining match should have happened last year at WrestleMania 34 with Charlotte and Asuka when it really was the meritocratic thing to have done. Or at 32 with the women's triple threat, which could have easily headlined that show as well, which would have been the meritocratic thing to do. So if anything, I felt like this 
this whole idea came too late. And then on top of all of that, I felt like when you got to this Battle Royal, what was quite telling, and I think the same can be said for the tag team match as well, was just how underdeveloped every single one of these female characters is outside of the three who are in the main event because of WWE's kind of narrow, you know, blinkered vision on those three talents who they've managed to cock up because of the horrible story they gave them, you know, the horrible build we've already talked about. But when you were, when I was looking at the field of participants in this battle royal and you saw Asuka and everyone else, I just didn't really, other than the fact that Asuka is naturally possibly my favorite female wrestler in the company, I didn't feel particularly bothered about who was going to win it or any of the other characters in the, in the match because none of them have had any development. And it, I think it just, it just exposed the the lack of balance in WWE's treatment of the women's division in their company. For all the banging on they do about the revolution and the evolution and everything else, it's like, well, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just give us token gestures like a headlining match. Uh, and when I say token gesture, I don't mean that that doesn't mean anything. I mean, by the time WWE got around to doing it, it they should have already done it before then. Um, right. And instead, instead, put your money where you properly put your money where your mouth is. You know, and, and, and develop some of these characters. Because to me, like I said, I felt like this, this headlining match should have happened last year. And this year, I thought, if, again, if, you were, if you're a genuine meritocracy, because let's be clear here as well, WWE went to great pains on the pre-show, if anyone saw it, to make the point of they're not headlining just because they're women. Okay, well, that's fair enough. If you want to talk yourselves up as a meritocracy, but the, the meritocratic match to have gone on last was the Kofi match because it was the hottest match going into the show. You know, and that's not I mean, that's well, a word. I, 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 it was, it was, and it was the hottest yes. match on the night, and that's not a word against the women. Again, I, it might sound like I'm trying to take away from, you know, their historic moment, and I'm not. What I'm saying is that historic moment should have already happened. Absolutely. Uh, and through their heavy-handed pushing of it this year, they just exposed the 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 famine of character development elsewhere in women's wrestling, like in that battle royal on the pre-show. I thought. I, I agree that the Kofi and Daniel match was probably the hottest coming into it, you know, just from a match standpoint. But I, I also, if we're speaking from a meritocracy point of view here, I, I could see why the match that went on last went on last because I, I think it's fairly obvious at this point that Becky Lynch is is. I mean, she's arguably the hottest performer in the business right now. So, I mean, there's something to be said about that as well. Um, either way, that none of that negates the fact that Asuka got screwed um, big time. And I, I really thought that she was going to win this match at the very least. Um, and I, I did not pay any attention whatsoever to Carmella and neither did anybody else. Because when Sarah Logan, when it looked like she won, I was like, okay. Uh, and then here comes Carmella, and then I instantly, of course, knew that Mella was going to get the victory, and I'm not entirely sure what that means. Are they going to try to give her another push now? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got nothing against Carmella. I just – I mean, it, it would have been maybe a little too little too late. It maybe would have been just kind of – I don't know, but it felt like Asuka should have won. Just like, hey, just, just almost them like – acknowledging the fact that they fucked her entire character storyline, everything coming into this entire thing. And that she was really more than anybody else on the entire roster. She was a victim of the just full on push of that triple threat match. But um, I mean, the, the, the good thing is with Becky holding both titles now, they're in a situation where they could do a hard reset. 
Yes. Um, and, and obviously Asuka tapped Becky out at Royal Rumble. Yes. So you can easily revisit that and just have Asuka be Becky's Achilles heel, you know, in the same way right. like Le- it was always Undertaker's, you know, just someone that maybe Becky can't figure out how to be, get the title back on Asuka and give her a proper run against opponents who are developed with characters that are developed properly. Right. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention from this before we move on is that uh, I was kind of oddly surprised by the fact that Dana Brooke was getting a whole hell of a lot of crowd reaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she eliminated the entire Riot Squad. Yeah. That was bordered on shocking for me. Also, it needs to be said, uh, Dana has lost an almost shocking amount of weight, it seems like. She has leaned up something fierce to where she was almost unrecognizable to me. Like, I was like, oh, wait, that's fucking Dana Brooke. Uh, she's <laughs> slimmed down, like, a lot. And that's not to say that she was, like, big before or anything. She's just she's very, muscular. obviously, she, she was very muscular. She's she's leaned down quite a bit. She's obviously, like, changed her, di- changed her diet and stuff like that. And I, I don't know. I just she She looks different. I'll put it that way, and it was, I guess, a somewhat pleasant surprise to see her really kind of get the hot hand there for a little while. Um, Good for her. It was unexpected, though, to say the least. Uh, But anyways, anyways, we move on from there. We had the Raw Tag Team titles on the line. It was Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, the Edgeheads, if you will, taking on the Revival. Um, And this one, i got to be honest, I I was cooking dinner while this was going on, so I really kind of uh, went back and forth on it. What I saw, I really enjoyed uh, it was a great match because, of course, the Revival are involved, and the Hawkins and Ryder are two veterans who really, I mean, if you need a good match, you stick those guys in there. They're going to deliver for you. Um, it, I, I didn't exactly anticipate that they were going to get the victory. It was definitely kind of a feel-good type thing, especially with Hawkins having not won a match in a million and five years. Um, but, I mean, good for them. Um I really kind of thought that the revival was gonna put together a, a real long kind of storied run, uh, just based on everything that I've seen, you know, and kind of watching it all in, in one big bulk, you know. Here, the last few times I've I've sat down to really enjoy some wrestling, it seemed like the the revival were really kind of in the process of being crowned the team of of this you know era you know with the exception of of course the usos on the other brand but uh so uh, it really surprised me that Ryder and hawkins won i I wasn't exactly mad at it but at the same time it was like oh you know i I really kind of wanted the revival to put something a little more significant together i suppose but it was a good match i enjoyed it well uh i'd say a couple things about this i thought it was a real treat i really really liked it um i think it appealed very much to my new gen sensibilities as a fan because um, it told a classic underdog story, it reminded me very much of Bob Holly and the One Two Three Kid winning the title oh, yeah. in '95. Um, I also think, and I agree with you. I think I thought the revival were were for a, a long run, but you know, I remember Zack Ryder winning the IC title at WrestleMania 13 Boston the next night. Uh, and I know we're not in an autumn. You know, we're meant to be in this no more automatic rematches, except for when there are automatic rematches uh, era. Um, but I, I would half expect Revival just to pick the titles back up again um, on tonight's, you know, post-Mania Raw, where they usually do that sort of that sort of thing. But it's also, I thought, the match, like you say, because I think um, it's a hard sell uh, to convince people that Ryder and Hawkins could beat the Revival. Um, and it's a testament to how good the Revival are that that match made it convincing that they, that they won. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think 
sometimes, especially in this NXT age we live in, there's a there's a danger of of a, a mindset setting in that every great match has to be you know hyperactive and action packed uh, and wrestled at a million miles an hour uh, and and constant back and forth. And I thought what I loved so much about this tag match was that it was slower, more deliberately paced. It was a little more cerebral. It was it was relatively calm. It just got on with telling a really solid story that built nicely to a crescendo, and I thought it was a real treat uh, and uh, appealed. One of the phrases I was using very early on last night was single-digit vibes in that a lot of the matches were reminding me of the kind of matches you would have seen in single on single-digit WrestleManias back in the day, and this was one of them, which is a compliment. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, who better than Dash and Dawson to really kind of do that? Well, you know? fine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Those guys are, yeah, they they are the epitome of, of proof nowadays that it doesn't have to be a million-mile-an-hour spot fest to make it good. Uh, those guys, they knock it out every single time that they're given the opportunity to. And this was no different. Uh, that's not, of course, to take away from Hawkins and Ryder. As I said before, those guys are two veterans who've been around for a long time, and they can they can perform when you know put in the position to do so. And I was glad to see all of these guys really knock it out of the park. I, I thought it was a really great match. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and it kept kind of the streak alive because, I mean, the Women's Battle Royal, though we, we weren't exactly, I don't think either of us, blown away by it. It was certainly entertaining. Absolutely. Um, and uh, this really kind of was like, okay, now it's time to get back to some good wrestling here. And, and they absolutely delivered on that. And on the front of Ryder and, and uh, Hawkins winning, uh, and why I think maybe a revival just picked the titles up, because they, it started that trend. I wrote a column on, on Sunday that I posted Sunday morning in UK time, um, talking about the conversation that had been had about how one of the top three title challenges had to lose, because, you know, are they, would they really have all three win, like, surely you've got to bounce out. And my question was, who says? Like, why, why can't you go all in with the good guys winning? We talked about it on the pond as well on last Friday, saying why not have, you know, all the good guys just do a clean sweep across the card and just have a really feel-good show. And, of course, that's eventually what would go on to happen. Um, and I've, I've even seen tweets, I've retweeted a couple today, um, just exploring Twitter and the things being said that people felt like it was a really uplifting show for delivering winners that fans wanted to see win and winners who were baby faces, who were the heroes that had the genuine support of the fans. And this was the match that kind of kickstarted that off for the night. I suppose, well, I suppose technically Tony Nese was, but um, it was, it was, I don't have an issue with Ryder and Hawkins winning because it kept in, it was in theme with one of the predominant themes of the whole evening. Uh, and like I said earlier, it was a great match. You know, I was convinced by their victory because of the story the match told. Right, which right. Is a, which is a real lost start, by the way. Oh, absolutely. And again, I mean, you, the revival. I mean, look no further. Those guys are brilliant at that. They always have been, and they always will be. So uh, this is not the last we've seen of them. I'm, you know, uh, as I understand it, the superstar shakeup is coming up, I believe, like next week. So maybe that plays some role in it. Uh, how good could the matches between the Usos and the Revival be? You know, um, that that could be just wonderful for the tag team scene if they're given the opportunity to do it. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but we moved on from there to yet another Battle Royal. It was the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, and this was the one that had me scratching my head very, very heavily because I have no idea why, why Michael Che and Colin Jost were involved. <laughs> um, 
I'm a Saturday Night Live fan. I have been for basically my entire life. I especially like Weekend Update. I enjoy both of those men. And I knew that they were involved coming into this. It's not like I came into it cold, just like, what the fuck are they doing there? And I knew they had an issue with Braun Strowman and stuff. I just didn't understand exactly why. Um, and I, I don't think that we're ever going to quite get the answer to that because I, if you're looking for a crossover, like, oh, let's get some celebrities involved. Michael Che and, and Colin Jost, not exactly the two guys I would pick. Um, call me I read, crazy. I read, I read somewhere that one of them is a wrestling fan, so maybe that's got something to do with it. Oh, I'm sure that they're probably both wrestling fans to some degree. You know, uh, I know that Colin Jost, last I heard, was was banging Scarlett Johansson. So I guess there's something to be said for that. Uh, but either way, and Michael Che is a funny son of a bitch. Uh, his stand-up special that is on Netflix is I recommend it. It's very funny. Um, but anywho, uh, this battle royal was like full of all the guys who who you know kind of were also on the show. Um, some of them deserve to be in different positions, I feel, on the show. I mean, there were some guys like – I mean, poor Bobby Roode. Like, what the, what the fuck happened to Bobby Roode? <laughs> he was just – he was there, um, you know, and uh, I mean the Hardys I were, love, were I really love, kind uh, of the they, – they were really kind of the focal point in terms of like big baby faces it seemed like, that they were kind of like the emphasis, and they played their music for like a half an hour know, it seemed know, like. I know. I think I think Braun was on the toilet or something, perhaps when he was due something. to. Uh, um, I really uh, love, uh, and I've said this before on the show. I really have grown to love Rude and Gable as a as a oh, tag same. team. I was I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see them sort of, you know, team up a little bit and throw some dudes dudes out together was, or something. I was surprised they didn't um, do that, honestly. Yeah, but it's. Um, I thought that this was this was the best battle royal. This Andre Battle Royal since 31. People, the 31 is, people talk about the 31 like it's the best. I don't think it is. I think the 31 is better. The 31 one is better. Um, and I thought this was the best one since the 31 one. Um, how many times can someone say one in, in, in the space of a minute? Um, uh, I, you know, the, the, I mean, the SNL thing is, 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 you know, sort of, Stereotypical WWE in that it's utterly inexplicable as to why it's happening. But that well, they, it also, they, it also kind of they they were used cleverly enough in the yeah. in the story of the match, you know, and and the match itself had a lot of nice moments in it. Again, you know, I'm glad Braun won it. I loved the the Ali elimination. There was a showdown, but you talk about Dana slimming down. How much is Harper slimmed down? Jesus, yeah, seriously. Um, and you know, the stare down between him and Strowman was cool. And there was just lots of uh, the Hardys double team and throwing towards the end. There was there was lots of cool little moments in there. So I, I again, you know, it was clean, crisp, told a decent story, and and uh, and battle royals are the best, like the Royal Rumble, when they have a sense of agenda going on, when it feels like there's different agendas and there's fleshed out motivations for the different characters in there, or at least to substitute that character-driven interactions. And I thought we had a number of them, including a very tantalizing encounter between Chad Gable and Andrade. And I was like, yes. there's a match I want to see. Right. Uh, was, uh, that brings up a question that I had. Uh, was, jeez, um, what am I even thinking about? See, I completely lost it. I just completely lost Oh, was <laughs> Luke Harper already back? No. Or, or was this just kind of like, oh, yeah, here's Luke Harper? It was kind of like, oh, yeah, here's Luke Harper. It was okay. also kind of like, why isn't Kevin Owens even in this? Seriously, I guess because they wanted him – this was very uh, – my only issue with this Battle Royal was that the the conclusion, the end of this thing was fucking written in stone from a couple of weeks ago 
frankly. Um, you knew that it was going to come down to Braun Strowman and the SNL guys and that Braun Strowman was ultimately going to get the win because people would have been ridiculously pissed if Michael Che would have been the winner of the Andre the Giant <laughs> Memorial Battle Royal. Uh, so, I mean, it was – the ending was a foregone conclusion in my opinion, which did kind of dampen it a little bit because then you've got guys like Andrade in there. You've got guys like the Hardys and all – and Bobby Roode, Chad Gable, you know, who – Chad Gable could have used something like this, you know? This could have been the springboard to at least a little bit of something for him. But, I mean, you know, it, it kind of was what it was. Uh, I, I, I didn't like what they need to, I thought I it was like, about a royal, you know? I feel like what they need to do is just give it a simple, uh, some simple stakes, like you get a title shot the next night on the post-mania royal. Something. It needs something, because just getting to put your name on the trophy doesn't mean enough. I mean, it, it, it's nice. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, there's absolutely no stakes to it whatsoever. You don't get anything for it. Um, so, I mean, it's just one more way to – I mean, Braun deserves something better to do on this show, frankly. Um, but I guess if you're going to do something, this is arguably the hottest guy on the roster, arguably, over the course of the last you know calendar year. And he was on the pre-show in the Andre. That's – I don't know. That's – that feels oh, I a think, weird. I think I think Seth was hotter than Braun for most of that. Yeah, I mean, I, that is definitely an arguable point. But Braun Strowman was definitely in the conversation, is what I'm getting at. Um, I don't know. Either way, it it, it kind of was what it was. And uh, yeah, uh, Braun Strowman is the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal winner. And again, that, that was really a foregone conclusion, in my opinion. Um, but anyways, we then move on to the main card. Alexa Bliss came out there, welcomed everybody to WrestleMania, says, you don't need a host on a night like this, you need a goddess, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm just going to show you, if I, if I want a WrestleMania moment, all I have to do is snap my fingers. She snapped her fingers, and out came Hulk Hogan. Um, and, yeah, there was Hulk Hogan. Um, he was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I don't even... He, he once again joked about his gaffe from like five years ago because that joke hasn't gotten old. Um, and yeah, it was a thing. Uh, he came out there and then he, they were interrupted by Paul Heyman making his way out. Uh, he came down there and basically said, hey, Brock Lesnar's a big star. If he's not going to be in the main event, we don't feel like waiting around all damn night for our spot on the card. So we're just going to go ahead and do this match now because we want to get the hell out of here. Uh, because, you know, we're going to Las Vegas where Brock Lesnar will be appreciated as a star, very heavily insinuating a UFC return for Brock Lesnar. Um, and sure enough, there we go. Brock Lesnar makes his way out there. Seth Rollins came out there to burn things down, and we have ourselves a match, if you want to call it a match. Uh, it, it it was good for what it was. It wasn't exactly the longest thing in the world. Not a lot of nuance, not a lot of, you know... Uh, I really kind of wanted to see what these two could do with one another, frankly. Um, I, I was in, I really wanted to see at least a solid 10 to 15 minutes with these two guys, and we didn't get that. Um, it, it was fine for what it was. I, I'm not mad at the fact that Seth Rollins borderline squashed Brock Lesnar. Not quite a squash, but, I mean, you, you were on the outskirts of squashed him. Um, and Seth Rollins is once again the uh, – is now the universal champion, and uh, I, I believe Kirsty is home because the dogs are talking about it. Uh, but uh, I know you've been waiting to talk about this. Uh, Seth Rollins is the universal champion. I loved everything about this. Um, I thought it was, a, it was a brilliant way to keep the show off. Uh, I thought it positioned uh, Brock and Seth 
to uh, succeed on a card where in the wrong position they could have very easily have ended up you know performing in front of a dead crowd or a crowd that wants to revolt or something like that so it got the reaction that i think seth has has, uh, has deserved from the title win i mean the pop when he starts swinging the title over his head is is, is particularly notable to me what i loved most about it so I've historically not been a fan with world power matches, particularly kicking off any pay-per-view, but especially WrestleMania. And I remember when they did it with Edge and like Bret Hart and they started out at Del Rio won the Rumble, but it was the curtain jerking match. You know, Sheamus to Bret Hart. It always bothered me. But the reason why I thought what was ingenious about this was the way they worked it into a the character of Brock Lesnar uh, and b the storyline uh, heading into it, which was Lesnar thinks he's above this business. Uh, and uh, is holding this business hostage, uh, and B Seth is sick of it and wants to, you know, and wants to to stop it. And the idea of of explaining why it's going on first is because Brock Lesnar thinks that it's too important to sit around waiting for his match to come on. So screw the rest of you. I'm going to do it first, get it over and done with in 30 seconds flat, and then I'm going to bugger off home again. I thought was just brilliantly fed into everything that this match was supposed to be about. Uh, and then the match itself, I mean, it's, it's in things like this where it's important to make the differentiation between a match and a story. Uh, and I thought the story, while the match, you know, from a literal perspective, the match was like two minutes long and like you said, amounted to a glorified squash, though a very refreshing one, I have to say. Um, and certainly as I said, the Rollins fan, a really fucking cool one. Um, the the story they told, I thought, you know, which lasted about 15, 12 to 15 minutes overall, from the moment Heyman comes out to the moment Seth just goes backstage. I thought that story was brilliantly done. The way Seth comes out, Brock jumps in, you know, throws him around like a ragdoll on the outside. There's a brief O to the CM Punk match when Brock throws him through the, the front of the announce desk thing. Um, Seth's back is covered in welts and bruises. Uh, you know, and then they did the 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 hark back to the go home segment. Uh, there was a there was a the way that the ref bump happens is really cool because I've watched I've watched it back since Sunday, and it's almost like Seth deliberately waits for the moment to counter the F five when he knows the ref is going to get bumped so he can nail the low blow, which feeds into Seth's character as you know the architect and the mastermind. There was a nice narrative irony with the fact that Seth reverted to old tricks to get the job done. There was symmetry with WrestleMania 31 in the sense that 35 kicks off the way 31 ends. Even the fact that there was this sense of, and again, it, it, it's how the match and the presentation of it fed into the storyline, like I was saying about Brock. You know, he's going to come out and do this early and then take the title back home with him. Cole called 31 the heist of the century, and this was there was a sense of heist about this as well, and the fact that it was all of the same length as the end of WrestleMania 31, and there were, it ended the same way as WrestleMania 31, but there was a sense that it had to, otherwise this, this heist would continue, but Lesnar would take the title back with him. I thought it was an inspired production end-to-end, honestly, and, and one of those instances where WWE once again proved that when they do it well, and they do it smartly, there are very few who can do it better. And I know that... <clears throat> A lot of people may roll their eyes and say he's only so enthused about it as a Seth fan. Well, first of all, yes, and I'm not going to apologize for that, nor should I have to. Uh, but also, B, I think even from a, a somewhat removed point of view, you have to admire the intelligence of doing it this way because it, it had so many benefits. Seth got the reaction from a, from a hot, lively crowd that always looks good for a 
someone that you're trying to push as a top baby face in your company. So from a pragmatic point of view, it had benefits. It was spaced enough apart from the other two big matches on the card to not in any way detract attention away from from those, which was a, a you know another pragmatic benefit. It fed into the the story and the characters involved. It was creative. I think another reason why I was so enthused by it was that it felt like like the kind of thing that they would, because it was so heavily rooted in, in character, I felt. It felt like the kind of thing that you could easily have imagined them doing something comparatively similar on a new gen pay-per-view, and everyone knows I'm a huge new gen guy. Um, and like, I, I, you know, I was sat there thinking about it today, and I was like, I could easily have seen them like Survivor Series 93, you substitute... Uh, Brock and Paul for Yoko and Jim Cornette, and you substitute Seth for Luger. You know, you've got some. So it, there, there was there was like a tonal sense to it that reminds me of my favorite era as well. And just everything about it, it was obviously just hugely elating to see Seth's arc come full circle. But also, it demonstrated they learned from their mistake last year, because what struck me was that this was exactly the kind of match that would have worked well at the end of last year's WrestleMania. I oh, think absolutely. We were, we, we were all expecting at the end of last year's WrestleMania, which they That's didn't what it do. should have been. Yeah, which they didn't do, but then they sort of did do at SummerSlam last year, but with Braun in there, and then finally they it's like they've learned from those experiences to do with Seth what they so severely botched with Roman. And now it lays the groundwork for two things. The first is for next year's WrestleMania to be headlined by the Seth Roman match that Roman has been saying he wants to see. I think the chances of that go up. But also, um, the I think he talked to your point about wanting to see a, you know, a fuller match. I get the impression we'll probably have that at the Saudi Arabia show if, if Brock sticks around to do that event. Because that got pushed back to June, which is after Money in the Bank. But also... Uh, there was a one of the one another thing that I loved about this was the shot of Brock Lesnar when Seth was celebrating on the stage. There's a momentary shot of Brock Lesnar's face and he looks pissed. Um, and, right. And so I, I think it probably will go to a rematch if they pay Brock enough money to stick around to do that one extra match, and that'll be where you get a more, you know, like a fuller match where there aren't so many cogs whirring around that maybe demand that it's a sensible decision to keep it short. So I thought that I mean there's. So, to say that it's only about 10 minutes all in, I thought there was so much to pick apart from it that it's the, exactly the kind of thing that's right up my street as someone who watches wrestling's performance art, right up my street as a Seth Rollins fan, right up my street as someone who was heavily invested in it. Because when Paul came out and it was clear they were starting off, like my, I was a mess. Like I didn't know what to think, what to expect. I didn't know what it did for Seth's chances, for Brock's chances. I thought it was a dramatic opening. It got the show off to a hot start. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I just thought it was inspired. I loved absolutely everything about it. In it was fact, a fantastic way to start you, the show. Before you pipe in again, Steve, one last word. I did, on Twitter, I did a thread of my favorite, so not, not what I think are the best, but just my favorite 35 WrestleMania matches of all time on Twitter, and that would probably make it, not because the match itself is spectacular, but because if you, if you consider the entire production of it, I thought it was just phenomenal. I mean, there's the old adage in professional wrestling. If you're going on last, you want to go on first. Um, and it really kind of – it really – more than even the stuff that had happened on the pre-show because, I mean, WWE has – as much as they want to talk about how, oh, the pre-show means something, this and that and the other, they have historically proven that the pre-show really doesn't mean much, frankly. <laughs> um, 
if, if you just want to go based on getting the crowd hot, the real start of the show, all of this good stuff, man, you can't think of a much more exciting way to begin the show, and you can't think of a better way to set the tone that we would ultimately feel over the course of yes. this show. Yes. Um, Which was Seth a very Rollins, light this match. One. Yes, exactly. The, you know, Seth Rollins, this match, just the entire storytelling arc that they did do to begin this program, uh, that really set the tone for what was to come throughout the evening, and I think they did that spectacularly. They did, they did a wonderful job of that. Um, it, it reminded me uh, – you maybe are not going to like the comparison a whole hell of a lot, but it reminded <laughs> me of most recently – of Goldberg Lesnar from the first time, not the first yeah. time, but you know, the second time that they tied up at Survivor Series when everybody was kind of like, oh, this is going to suck. But then it didn't suck because it was so sudden and just so surprising that it was like, ah, you know, uh, nobody anticipated I, think, that this I mean, was going to suck in any way. But it was just like, this, of course, had a lot more to it than that did. Let's not, you know, let's not paint that as some awesome thing. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, well, no, but I, I mean, you say it's not a comparison. Amount. I really enjoyed the, the Brock Lesnar. Goldberg. I love that. I mean, I, I, I was of the opinion it should never happen in, you know, when it, when it happened in the year it happened because it's 2017 for fuck's sake. But, the, you know, for what it was, I thought it was done spectacularly well. And this was done spectacularly well also. I mean, everybody Indeed. played their part perfectly. It, it it kicked off the show the way you would want to kick off the show. It was surprising. It let you know, okay, we're off to the races here, and we're going to be giving you some surprises. Don't think you know what is going to happen because we're going to throw you a few curveballs. And I, it really kind of set the tone. Nothing could have set the tone for this event better than that. Because what it does also is it serves to get you on the edge of your seat, and you're like, well, shit, what's going to happen next? You know, we just had the Universal Championship change hands out of the middle of nowhere in a damn near a squash match uh, just to begin the show here, you know? And again, it, it played, as you said, just echoing what you said, basically, it played into everybody's character perfectly. It played into the storyline that had been established with Brock over the course of the last multiple years. It, it, it did everything that it needed to do, and it did it very well. Um, I would have liked to have seen a, a, more of a match between the two just because I'd like to see the interaction between them, you know. But honestly, I mean, it, it couldn't have been done a lot better than this, you know. Uh, there's time for that maybe in the future. Uh, yes. But if we never get that and we get this instead, I ain't mad at it. Uh, you know, just going into it, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I bet that they're going to have a pretty good match with one another. I want to see how they're going to interact. But yeah, again, I mean, and, if, even if we never get that, I'm not mad that we got this instead. And ultimately, uh, you know, if if the objective of this was to solidify Seth as either equal to or number two to uh, Roman as the top guy in the company for this generation, like job done. I thought he he came off last night looking spectacularly good. Oh, absolutely, and, and I'm interested in seeing where he goes next. Frankly, you know. Um, I, it's I gonna cannot be, wait. The universe it's going to be very interesting. Has finally found itself to the shoulder it should have been on since day one. Well, I mean, and it's weird too because I mean we're coming up on a you know WrestleMania. I mean, all after WrestleMania, which is usually you know a big, huge deal and all that good stuff. I almost think they should have planned the Superstar Shakeup for tonight, uh, just because yeah. like. Look at all the, the NXT call-ups. We talked about this last time, but look at all the NXT call-ups we've just had. What the hell surprises can they pull out? You know? Well, this, I mean, it's especially not like because there are no major free agents out there to just randomly show up. Uh, I can't think of anybody that people would just lose their shit from NXT over them showing up on the show. It's because they've already done that uh, with Ricochet. Well, uh, and, you I know, I mean, the, 
the the biggest prospect I think is Pete Dunne, who obviously just dropped the UK Championship. Right. Has had a has had a hell of a run. Is known already to to main roster fans, even if it's just through his appearance in the Rumble this year. Um, uh, but I I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't see why, especially because everyone's around at the minute as well. It's WrestleMania, right. weekend, so you've got all the NXT guys, all the NXT UK guys. It's gonna it's gonna have to be something. I mean, I love me some Pete Dunne. Don't get me wrong, but I mean that's not exactly, you know. A, a barn burner of a wrestle of a, a raw after WrestleMania thing, you know. Oh, I, mean, I, think I, just, get, I think you're wrong there. I think he. Oh, I think it's, I think it would get a huge reaction. I think people would absolutely love it. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, is it on par with you know like, you know, Paige winning the championship on her first night, or Dolph Ziggler cashing in Money in the Bank, or or, or any of the numerous like epic things that have happened well, on the raw after WrestleMania? I mean, if, well, you, I mean, if you if you think about you know maybe Seth comes out and does an open challenge for the Universal Championship or something, and Pete Dunne's the one who answers it, or anything of that nature, you know, or Finn with the IC title, or I think I think there's ways you could do it to make. Oh, it. there's there's absolutely ways that could make it pretty epic. But I mean, the the problem that I'm really kind of looking at is that I think Pete Dunne showing up and doing anything, frankly, uh, but especially if he gets his hands on the IC title or something like that after a barn burner of a match against Finn, which they could absolutely have, uh, something like that would be awesome. But then what? Because I mean, the Raw after WrestleMania is not exactly known for having a big moment. It's supposed to be like you don't know what's gonna happen. Oh, this crazy shit's gonna go down. Oh, it's amazing. And you know, I mean, when Pete Dunne's the best thing we can come up with, and the only thing we can really kind of come up with that at uh, least one scratching one's head. I'll put it that way. Uh, they'd have to pull out something genuinely shocking at this point. I think for it to be on par really, with what they've established this Raw after WrestleMania to be. Uh, but at any rate, uh, even if they don't, if this kind of changes the game moving forward, you know, a little bit, and maybe the Raw after WrestleMania isn't going to quite have the significance this year that it has had in years past, it's not going to change the fact that what started this conversation, I'm very interested in seeing where Seth Rollins goes from here. Uh, it's going to be nice to have that Universal Championship back around on a consistent basis, at the very least. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, a great opening to WrestleMania. I could have been off much better, frankly. But we then move on to the match that was, you know, supposed to open the show, to, uh, to the best of my knowledge. It was AJ Styles and Randy Orton, and really kind of a, I, I compare this to kind of like the Shawn Michaels-Kurt uh, Angle match. You know, this was just kind of, or, or Chris Jericho versus Christian. This was just kind of a grudge match that uh, had a, a little bit of heat to it. Um, you know, I mean, it, Again, I, I didn't see a whole hell of a lot of it, but it, it seemed like it was decent enough. I, it at least fits in very well, I think, with what Randy Orton's been doing for the last few months, where he's been looking to take out the people that the fans love so damn much, um, the indie darlings and stuff, if you will. Uh, I think that AJ Styles is really kind of you know, you know, almost the peak of that, you know, at least on the brand that he's working at the moment. And so it, it made perfect sense to me, and I figured they were going to have a decent enough match, and they did have a decent enough match. Uh, it was Randy Orton's usual kind of, I don't want to say plotting, but um, deliberate <laughs> style. Uh, because I mean, it wasn't plotting necessarily, but it was very, Randy Orton wrestles a very deliberate style of match. 
And and that's exactly what we got from this. We didn't get the excitement of an AJ Styles match that you know he brings to the table often. Instead, Randy Styles kind of took over, and it was what it was. Uh, I thought the ending was vaguely anticlimactic with just kind of a, a phenomenal forearm somewhat out of the middle of nowhere. I did like – it was uh, – the reversal of the RKO was pretty cool and all that good stuff, but – I don't know, I guess I just really kind of expected something a little bigger, but it, you know, it. I didn't get it. I got exactly what I honestly anticipated I would get, which was a, a look at who's in the ring. You're going to get a good match from them, but we didn't get anything amazing by any stretch of the imagination. One of the one of the refreshing things for me for this year at WrestleMania has been exactly what you just said. Um, and I know that that might sound a bit kind of uh, pretentious to sit here and say, but I get so... Uh, exhausted by the, especially with the performer like AJ Styles by the need these days for every match to. And I'm not saying this is what you're saying but um, generally speaking for the need for every match to be you know action packed and exhilarated and tear the house down and show stealer and, and all the rest of it and one of the things I've found so refreshing this year about WrestleMania what made it so easy for me to sit and watch it this year um was exactly what you were saying is that a lot of the wrestling just busied itself with telling a solid story and just having solid action and not worrying about or seeming to worry about having to be the absolute best match on the card, but rather concerned itself with just getting on with the task of, of either extending or culminating the story that it was there to tell. Uh, and uh, again, maybe that's what, that's why I was getting single digit vibes or getting new gen vibes from it because that was the MO back then as well. Um, and, and I thought that this, this match was, you know, another case in point of that, like you say, it was solid stuff. You could call it unspectacular to my mind. Doing so is not an insult by any means. No, um, no, that's not what I, I insinuated. And I thought it was another fitting addition to what I've been saying. And I know I'm not the only one to have been saying this is, is Orton's, uh, who has been Orton's library of work at WrestleMania, which has quietly be, been uh, sort of growing into one of the most impressive WrestleMania resumes going in terms of match quality. And this was a, this was another solid entry into that. I enjoyed Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, in terms of those kind of grudge match style matches, this fit perfectly within, you know, the pantheon of those. Um, you know, not as good as some, better than others. I, I, I thought this match was, was absolutely... It was a good match. I mean, what more do I you want go, from it? Uh, I would go so far as to say it's probably my favorite match AJ Styles has wrestled at WrestleMania because it was, uh, it was so much more paired back than Like that horribly self-important Shane McMahon match from WrestleMania 33 that everyone lost their minds about. I hated it because it was like, you're in the, you know, why do I need a 30-minute main event style match to open WrestleMania with? It just felt so, and and that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is this need for everything to be so important and big and 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 this year didn't have that and this and I and that's why I liked this match so much and why I would say it's my favorite. I, I enjoyed the Nakamura match, I enjoyed the Jericho match, but uh, this was probably my favorite one because it was so part of that refreshing formula. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I, I really did kind of, I don't know, I guess maybe I thought that they would mesh together a little bit better. Uh, you know, you've got some guys who've been wrestling for quite some time, you know, between the two of them, they've got almost like 50 years of experience, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I guess that's what I should have expected was for it to just be a by the book, straight up good match. 
uh, and nothing really all that amazingly spectacular, especially when you consider that Randy Orton's in the ring. And when I say spectacular, I don't mean in terms of quality. I just mean in terms of spectacle, like the literal meaning of it. Uh, I was anticipating some sort of epic RKO, you know, off of some high-flying thing. Like, you know, AJ's got a 450 in his arsenal. Why not? Um, I, I, I really kind of anticipated that. I, I thought that it was going to be, a, I don't know, a little more phenomenal. Um, but it ultimately just wound up being rock solid. And hey, I mean, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I'd much rather they do that than have given us just a big spot fest, you know? Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was an absolutely fine match. If it had been the match that opened the show, I wouldn't have had any problem with it there either. Uh, this match was, was solid. I mean, I, yeah, that, that about sums it up, really. <laughs> uh, after that was all said and done, though, AJ Styles getting the victory over Randy Orton. Uh, I presume that this is probably going to continue in some capacity. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see both of them, those gentlemen uh, involved in the Money in the Bank match coming up here in about a month or so. Uh, after that was all said and done, though, uh, Lacey Evans makes her way out there. She looks around at the crowd, and then she leaves because that's all that Lacey Evans does, apparently. We then have ourselves a fatal four-way match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. It is the Usos, of course, as the champions, taking on The Bar, taking on Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura, and Ricochet and Aleister Black, who, impressively enough, uh, it, it has to be pointed out, they, they pointed it out on commentary as well, Ricochet and Aleister Black somehow managed to get title shots at all three brands' tag team titles in the course of a week. Yeah, That's I know, pretty crazy. cool. Yeah. That that that's pretty awesome. Uh, they didn't win a damn one of them. But <laughs> well, this is it, and that's, and that's why I was really pulling for them in this one because I thought that would have told such a, a cool story in itself. Oh, yeah. is, you know, you lose for the Raw ones, you lose for the NXT ones, then on WrestleMania you win in your last chance uh, right. for the SmackDown ones. But even so, it's still quite a cool thing that they can say. And I've really grown to like Ricochet and Alistair Black as a team. I think they they I gel do, well. I enjoyed them. They have uh, they have uh, contrasting aesthetics to their ring work that I think works. The match itself was was you know fully what I expected it to be. I didn't think it was quite up to par with the raw triple threat we got at when was that fast lane I think. Um, but it was you know it was fun and it was the the Cesaro uh, big swing on Ricochet while Sheamus did the ten beats of the Baron to everybody in the match was. Was uh, was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that and, was that was fun. And, and again, it continued the theme of you know of favourites winning. While my preference would have been for Ricochet and Black to pick up the win, um, you know the Usos are by far a shabby choice to have to have retained the titles, uh, especially because obviously they've had a long odyssey just getting onto the main cards at WrestleMania. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was probably just from a pure, you know, Mark's perspective, I suppose, pulling for Aleister Black and Ricochet. They were my favorite of these teams. Uh, there was a part of me that really would have liked to have seen Rusev and Nakamura walk away with this one, um, just because I, you know, I, Nakamura very much like Asuka. I mean, look at yeah. where they are now as compared to where they were at last WrestleMania, and it really kind of their afterthoughts. And and neither of them deserved that. Frankly, uh, they both deserved better than they got this year. Uh, and I, I would say the same for Rusev. Uh, Rusev was arguably one of the hottest guys in the business, you know, around this time last year. And and they they just kind of pissed it away, honestly. Um, and that's that's unfortunate. Uh, but I, I thought that they I, I've kind of enjoyed their pairing, that they're not friends by any stretch of the imagination, but they 
they serve each other purposes well. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of when the bar first got together. And, and so, you know, yeah, I was kind of hoping that Rusev and Nakamura would do a little something there. Uh, I was pulling for Ricochet and Aleister Black, but ultimately you can't be mad when the Usos get the victory. Uh, I, I, frankly, I enjoyed the raw tag team title match more than I enjoyed this one. Um, yeah, but, I would agree. but it I was, agree. it was fun though. I mean, it, it was will, fun for what it was. I will say that I thought Alistair Black's entrance looked spectacular. Absolutely. Uh, with the, with it being an open air stadium, you know, night had already, you know, fallen. It just looked great. Yeah. It, I'm a big Alistair Black fan. That's no secret whatsoever. Uh, it, it, yeah, uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet had one hell of a week, and uh, they deserve credit for that because they not only got three title shots, they performed damn well in their three title shots. Um, so uh, props for that, I suppose. Um, and everybody performed fairly well in this. They Everybody did their job exactly as they should have, and it really kind of continues the theme of the match prior to it. It was exactly what it should have been. You know, nothing overwhelmingly just like, oh, my God. They didn't, you know, do the whole thing where everybody hits finishers all in a row, really, you know, kind yeah. of spot fest McGee thing. It really was just kind of like it was exactly what it needed to be, just a well-put-together triple threat, I mean, a fatal four-way. And, I mean, Indeed. what more can you ask for, honestly, you know? Uh, but really not a whole hell of a lot to say about it, frankly. Uh, the Usos get the victory, and again, who could really argue with that? Uh, we had a video package highlighting the, the Hall of Fame induction thing, and then they, of course, introduced everybody, which is pretty cool. And, um, you know, it, it's good to see. Uh, it, it, I got, I, I, there were a couple of moments over the course of the weekend where I got a little teary-eyed, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm so glad that China is in the Hall of Fame. Um, she really deserves it. Uh, she really, really deserves it, frankly. Uh, I mean, I, I know I just said earlier about Sherry Martell and, and Luna and stuff like that, but in the modern age, I mean, I know a lot of people would point at a Sable or a Sunny or something like that. China was something different. Um, China's a former multiple-time intercontinental champion. She was has been in multiple Royal Rumbles. Uh, you know, she competed for the World Championship. Um China was a unique entity unto herself that we have not yet seen again in WWE, and that is worth paying tribute to. Uh, I know that she had other shit that went on. Um, that is what that is. I'm she. Joni Lauer had very obvious mental health issues, and I am not going to cast stones at anyone who is suffering from that shit because you know what? It. it I've had my own battles. I've known plenty of people who've had battles. It is sometimes, though you are in control of your own life, uh, sometimes you don't have the firmest grasp on the reins. Let's put it that way. And uh, she does not deserve – her legacy within professional wrestling and in WWE does not deserve to be dictated by what her life became after the fact. Um, in terms of whether or not she deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, yeah, she damn sure deserves it. She deserved to be in there all by her lonesome. Not just as a group, she should be a two-time Hall of Famer, just like Shawn Michaels and like Triple H eventually will be. And, well, I mean, frankly, all of these guys, I would have no problem with any of them, in, in, meaning DX. I would have zero problem whatsoever with any of those gentlemen sporting two Hall of Fame rings uh, at some point in the future. Uh, because if they wanted to give the New Age Outlaws a separate induction, I'm fine with that. One, two, three, kid, X, Pac, whatever you want to call him, absolutely deserves an induction all his own. Same with China, and of course Triple H is going to go in one day. So, yeah, I mean, 
was what it was. The Hall of Fame class of 2019 was pretty loaded, actually. Uh, pretty damn solid class. I did, and, uh, uh, I did, uh, I did get a, nothing to say here other than I did get a bit of a chuckle at the, fa- <laughs> the fact, even in 2019, Bret Hart is stood on a, on a stage in WWE and having to see Shawn Michaels run around being Shawn Michaels, and he must be thinking, am I never going to get away from this? Right, right. <laughs> I'm not sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a, yeah, pretty much. It just and made me chuckle. And I'd also like to, I mean, I know she's never going to hear it, but I want to give uh, my uh, my props to Tori Wilson as well, who not only came out there and gave uh, a damn good speech, Absolutely. Uh, but, um, but did so in the face of having just lost her father a couple of days mm-hmm. before, which is really, that's, that's rough, man. That's really rough. Uh, especially when her father, of course, did play something of a role in her WWE career, and obviously would have been there, and and all that stuff. That's uh, that's that's pretty rough. And uh, props to Tori Wilson for stepping up and and really, it was the best thing Tori Wilson's ever done in wrestling was that Hall of Fame speech, frankly. Um, but anyways, we move on from there to a Falls Count Anywhere match that. We have been over this storyline and bashed it and kicked it and stabbed it in the face and uh, pissed in the wound, Um, and all deservedly so. But I'll be damned if this match wasn't entertaining as shit. Shane McMahon versus The Miz. Um, (laughs) And it's because, uh, you know, something of a pun here, I suppose, on his music, but The Miz came to play. Uh, There was a fire about The Miz that I don't know that I've ever seen before. Uh, He... He, like, really was fired up about all of this. And I have to say that I was getting Attitude Era Shane McMahon vibes. Like, him being the cocky prick, uh, it fits him really well, and I'd forgotten that. Uh, Back when he was, you know, challenging X-Pac and stuff like that around WrestleMania 15 and whatnot. Like, that was a – that annoying-ass, holier-than-thou, better-than-you Shane McMahon was a fun character to play around with. And I'm liking that he's revisiting it to a degree here in his advanced age. Um, it works. It wor- It weirdly works. Um, and The Miz, uh, not exactly top-tier babyface material, I would ever say. He works much, 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 much better as a heel. Uh, this is definitely an odd pairing. Uh, and everything about this match and the lead-up to it is leaves one scratching their head, to say the very least. But... This match turned out pretty damn fun. Um, even even the ending with you know the big giant Shane McMahon bump, and he still somehow manages to get the victory because he happened to land on top of the Miz. Um, I, I, I thought it was a pretty good time. Uh, is this one that I'm going to be revisiting tons? No, <laughs> but no, not at all. Um, I still think the storyline is is reheated ass, uh, but. This was I, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this match. Um, I mean, I'll start off by saying that in, in, in my opinion will never change. Shane McMahon has no business wrestling on WrestleManias in 2019. Uh, in fact, I would rather him just not be on WWE TV full stop. Uh, however, uh, I was in, and I say this begrudgingly, uh, but I think... A couple of things. The first is, like you say, a motivated Miz, um, who I think probably realized he had a a tough job getting something good out of this and props him for doing it. Um, As well as the fact that everything up up to this point had been going well on the show. Uh, Had me in a positive mindset to the point where 
I very reluctantly acquiesced to the notion that I was enjoying it uh, and that it added uh, something worthwhile to the show. Um, I, I can see what you're saying about the, 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 the attitude vibes from Shane. It's not something that had struck me, but when I think more about it as well, one of the things that I've said about Shane since his return in 2016 is that it's like they forgot that Shane McMahon matches were never really competitive. They were really him getting his arse kicked uh, and somehow pulling out, you know, a miracle. I mean, it used to be called the leap of faith when he would fall off something high for a reason, because there was always a sense of him having this miraculous ability to withstand the punishment. Uh, but nine times out of ten, they were him getting his ass kicked. He wasn't competing. It was, yeah. the, it was basically him having to kill himself to even have a prayer. Exactly, precisely. He wasn't locking people in triangle holds and doing MMA moves and all this shit. So, and this now that you mentioned that, it does make me realize that uh, the m- majority of this match was him getting his ass kicked. Um, and I thought that there were. An, I mean, I know that it was a bit more back and forth at the start, but there was a large portion where it was just him getting his ass kicked. And there were visuals that I thought were quite compelling in it, not just the superplex at the end. Um, well, that whole section where they where they were uh, sort of fighting uh, on international announce row and all the international, you could hear the chatter on the international announcers' headsets and stuff in, in 15 different languages as they all kind of herded around like like panicked, like a panicked mob. It was just really fun to see and, and to watch, and I thought it was a decent enough match. It didn't overstate welcome, and props to them for, for pulling something decent out. Like I said, my first preference would be to never see Shane McMahon wrestle on these cards ever, uh, but if I've got to put up with it, then this is about as good as I can expect it to get, I felt, and that's a positive thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, it it, it over-delivered, to say the very least. I, I, I was not in any way, shape, form, or fashion, uh, anticipating or looking forward to this match. Uh, I was, it was really one of the one thing on the card that I was just like, yeah, let's get this over with. Um, but then I, uh, yeah, much like yourself, I found myself enjoying it. So, and, uh, credit to Shane, oddly, um, back in when he was the European champion, very briefly, you know, uh, back in the day, I cannot remember who it was against, but he had one very competitive match out of the middle of fucking nowhere on Sunday Night Heat, where he yeah. defended the European title. And I cannot remember who it was against. It may have been X-Pac, uh, but it was a very competitive match. And like the only time that Shane's ever been in a match where it was just like Shane McMahon in a wrestling match, not Shane doing something death-defying and coming off the top rope to a table and all that crazy shit. It was just... Shane having a good match, and I cannot remember who it was against. Somebody will need to remind me of it or something. I know I've seen it, and that it was surprisingly good. Like, if Shane had wanted to be, there might have been something there. Uh, but that is a whole other thing. Uh, as it was, Shane and The Miz, uh, surprisingly entertaining, and uh, no harm, no foul, I suppose. You know, <laughs> it could have been a hell of a lot worse. We'll put it that way. We move on, though, to yet another fatal four-way uh, for tag team titles, this time the women's tag team titles. We've got Nia Jackson, Tamina Snuka. We have got the Iconics. We've got Sasha Banks and Bayley, who are the women's tag team champions. And most interestingly, we've got Natalia and the Glamazon, Beth Phoenix. Uh, pin up strong back in action here. And... Uh, this one did not hold a lot of intrigue for me, frankly. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the Sasha Banks and Bailey pairing. Um, I, I'm just not. 
I have nothing against them um, as singles competitors or really necessarily as a tag team or best bad buddies or anything like that. I just think that it's it's gone on way too damn long. Um, but that is what that is. Uh, it was cool to see Beth Phoenix back. I'm a big Beth Phoenix fan. I've always enjoyed the Glamazon. Uh, I was especially interested in seeing her kind of face off against Nia Jax and just really kind of the power struggle there. I thought that was kind of cool. And, but really, apart from that, I was just all about the Iconics getting the win here um, because I think I, I, I'm a big Iconics fan. I really enjoy the Iconics. Uh, they are the female Edge and Christian uh, because they literally like went to high school together, trained together, and and now they're in WWE together. Uh, they've traveled the same path, very much like uh, like Edge and Christian. And it all culminated in them winning the women's tag team titles here this evening, which, frankly, when the tag team titles, the women's tag titles were introduced, I mean, they were kind of almost made for the Iconics, frankly. If you wanted the Iconics to mean a damn thing, which they meant in NXT, they got called to the main roster, and suddenly they're just comic relief. Um, they're better than that. And I, I hope that this is the beginning of the path towards showing that. You know, for uh, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, maybe this is their opportunity to shine. Um, I'm still not remotely sold on the fact that we needed women's tag team titles. I, I think that it is uh, – those belts just aren't necessary at this given point in time. There's not enough women to really justify having them. Um, and by having this big fatal four-way for these tag team titles, all you really did was make the women's battle royal – a little less star-studded and, you know, not great. Um, this match didn't really do anything for me. Uh, it was one of the few matches on the card that didn't do a whole hell of a lot for me, aside from, you know, again, the appeal of seeing Beth Phoenix face off with Nia Jax. There were some pretty cool moves here and there, and ultimately the Iconics getting the victory uh, and the way that they did so I thought was very iconic-y. Um, so apart from that, uh, this was really just kind of, eh, okay, it's a match that ha- happened. Yeah, it didn't do much for me either. And like you say, I think the tag team titles are, are redundant. I think they only exist to uh, as a cop-out for WWE to be able to use other female performers without having to, what I was talking about earlier, develop characters or storylines. Uh, and, and I think that they, they will only ever amount to that. Um, I am absolutely delighted, though, that the Iconics won them. Uh, and I think a lot of fans are, because uh, the Iconics are such an endearing act generally. Um it comes back to what we were saying again as well earlier, that friendship is genuine. You can tell it is. Um, and so, yeah, generally happy about the result, but uh, not much to say about the match, which I thought was a bit of a mess. And uh, for championships that I don't really feel much of a, of a need that's, for. That's ultimately the problem is I don't give a shit about the titles. I, I, I just do not care about the titles whatsoever. And so I, I was having trouble getting interested in or excited in any way about the match aside from, you know, I mean, you're going to pick your favorites, but, you know, and there was, again, you know, seeing Nia and Beth, you know, was, you know, we've seen it before. So it's not like it was the first time it ever happened, but it was, you know, there was at least some cursory interest there. Uh, but ultimately, I'm glad the Iconics won, but I would rather there not be titles for them to have won, frankly. So Indeed. that is what that is. Um, we move on from there to uh, arguably the biggest match of the night. Um, this was a really big one for a multitude of reasons. Um, and I can't even begin to really, uh, um, I, I am not eloquent enough to put into words what this match meant to a lot of people out there. Um, 
this match was not just about Kofi Kingston getting his what he deserves as a loyal, consistent employee of WWE. It really kind of blew me away when they you know, were first talking about the fact that Kofi Kingston's been around for like 11 years and has never gotten a one-on-one title match. That really kind of blew me away and made me like I, – I had to get on the internet and look around and be like, I could swear that he had had a title match. But no, uh, he hasn't, um, and that was – that was legitimately surprising to me and also really just kind of a glaring omission and, and really kind of a, a, something of a travesty um, because Kofi Kingston has never exactly been the hottest hand in the business by any stretch of the imagination, but he has been just terribly consistent in terms of not only performance, but popularity and any, any metric that you want to measure a successful professional wrestler by Kofi Kingston has achieved those metrics. Um, and he has never really gotten his shot. Um, that, that is what that is. And just from, regardless of the man's race, I would have been invested in this from that perspective, but then you do have to factor in the race card. Um, you know, and, and I'm glad that they did not hammer it heavily. It was of course mentioned and it deserved to be mentioned. I know a lot of people got a bug up their ass about the fact that it was even mentioned, but you know what? It needed to be. Because it is well, I would, I would, I would suggest that the very fact that there are people who were bothered by the fact it got mentioned is the very reason why it needed to be. Absolutely, you nailed that right on the head. Because it is absolutely true that there are little African American or well, I guess African British, there are little black children who have been sitting at home for years upon years upon years upon years and not seen any representation of themselves holding the WWE championship. And that is a small thing, seemingly, you know, if you've got the – to, not, to, not, to, not to press a, 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 a buzzword, but if you've got the privilege uh, to consider that a small thing, then you don't get why it's a big thing. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm a member of a minority myself, and while I can't um, possibly know what I ever pertain to be able to relate to anything like the uh, particularly African-American experience – um, you know, it matters when you're growing up and there's you've got nothing to identify with. Yes. You know, the, the pop culture you're, you're tuned into, the fiction that you like to digest, there's no representation for you. Um, and I mean, like, I mean, you just said it, you know, it, it might be a small thing to some, but it's a huge thing when you're the person who doesn't have that representation, even in ways that you don't even realize at the time. But when you grow older and you look back and you think, well, maybe all those you know, all those days I spent wondering whether I actually amount to anything is because of the fact that my pop culture didn't, didn't, society didn't present to me any examples that I could. Uh, and so you're absolutely bang on, you know, Kofi King, Kingston winning the WWE championship uh, in the, in the environment in which he won it is a huge deal, a hugely positive deal, especially considering the, uh, the political climate that we're currently living through especially in America and in the UK uh, as well, by the way. Um, Absolutely. You know, where there, there are a lot of toxic narratives being thrown around. There are a lot of toxic narratives that are being given the, the press, you know, the column inches and the, and the TV time, and that are either being directly sponsored by some people or alternatively not being well enough uh, 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 undercut by others. Uh, and so when you get pop culture that's in as prominent as, and as pressing a position as, as WWE is, 
and pop culture that is as vicariously appealing to people as professional wrestling is and as emotional experiences, um, then that really, really does count for a hell of a lot. I can only imagine, because again, I can't relate to it directly, I can only try and begin to imagine what it might mean to you know, African-American fans and to fans of other racial minorities uh, who feel like they've been denied that representation for so long. And that, for that reason, uh, you know, uh, I think that the match between Kofi and Bryan uh, will quite rightly live in history as not just one of the best, but one of the most important matches the company has ever put on uh, and specifically ever put on at WrestleMania. Because quite beyond all of that um, is the fact that it was a phenomenal match like Absolutely. the way the match was yes. actually put together was outrageously good. And we spoke about uh, Daniel Bryan being on, well, we didn't, but on the pond we did. Um, we spoke about Daniel Bryan being on like career best form in that elimination chamber match that he was a part of. Well, he just outstripped it again, as did Kofi Kingston. Because to me, and I tweeted this earlier, when I, I've not had a chance to watch it a second time yet, but my initial instinct was that you were watching a match that basically took the kind of the, the psychological depth of Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10 threw in all of the emotional heft of Brian versus Triple H at WrestleMania 30, and then provided a victory that was as, as elating as, as Eddie's win in 2004 at No Way Out, while adding on top of that all of the social importance uh, that, that the whole storyline carried as well. And the result was, and I even felt this way when I was watching it, because there were moments, I mean, the body language of Kofi when he was in the, the label lock late on in the match. Uh, but also, you know, there were shots of the New Day outside getting the crowd involved, you know, cheerleading the crowd. It all felt so singular. I can't, I can't recall experiencing a match in quite, so, quite as vicarious a way as that. And that is coming from a fan who hasn't been as enamored with the storyline as a lot of others have. You know, I, I thought that the, the match... Uh, and the way that it culminated and the victory and the, the social relevance of it made it transcendent. I thought it was phenomenal. It was really the perfect storm of, you know, professional wrestling when it, when, when it all comes together and, and does something right, it, it does it really right. Um, and this was a, a wonderful example of that. Now, of course we can point towards the fact that, well, it, it it wouldn't have it, it wouldn't be an issue they wouldn't have had to push to do it right it wouldn't have been this and this and this if they just would have had a black world champion 20 years ago um and that's absolutely true that is, that's uh, there's no arguing that okay we should not be praising WWE for doing this uh by way of brushing under the rug the fact that they didn't do it over the course of the last 35 years that WrestleMania has been a thing and damn near 50 years that the company's been around okay um that's not what i'm saying here um, I'm also not trying to shortchange uh, anybody out there who is of mixed race. Uh, I have a mixed race nephew. Um, I, I, anybody who is of mixed race and feel that they may be slighted by the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, The Rock is indeed half black, um, and he should represent. Uh, you know, he Kofi Kingston is not the first African American to hold the WWE Championship. The Rock is no less black just because he's mixed. You know, but he is mixed, and and appearance does matter in some instances. Uh, and I, I know I'm treading on somewhat wonky ice with that because, again, I have no 
I have no leg to stand on with all that. I cannot relate to that experience because I, I just can't. Um, that's not the hand that I was dealt in life, um, for better or for worse, or whatever it may be. But uh, it really means a lot to have someone that looks like you, that can inspire you, that can make you believe that you can be that. You know, uh, up until this, there were little black boys and girls sitting at home who wanted to be the WWE champion, and someone, some asshole on the playground or you know, whoever the fuck it may be, could have said to them, oh, well, no, you can't be WWE champion. Black people can't be WWE champion. You know, I mean, that, that was a viable argument up until last night. Uh, was it justifiably viable? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. And again, that's why I think that uh, though the match deserves praise, Kofi deserves praise, WWE deserves a level of praise, let's not go overboard because it wouldn't have been an issue if they just would have acted right a long-ass time ago, okay? Um, but that does not take away from the significance of the event. Uh, it does not take away from the significance of Kofi's achievement, just, uh, not just from a, a racial aspect, but also just from the culmination of a career that is deserving of this accolade. Um, a lot of, it was a, like I said, it was a perfect storm. There was nobody better than Kofi Kingston to be in this role. Uh, aside from, you know, maybe Booker T back at 19. Uh, but again, that, that is what that is. And that wasn't the WWE championship either. Was it? No, that was the world championship, but either way. And again, and so many caveats that have to come with this. I mean, this event should not take from the fact that yes, Booker T was the world champion back in the day. That's not the WWE championship though. If you're looking at the lineage of the WWE championship, you know, it, 50 plus years Kofi Kingston is the first African American man to be on that list and that is significant for a multitude of reasons I mean the very fact that any wrestling fan needs to feel a need to uh, acknowledge who or what does or does not and we'll put this in, in inverted commas count is again proof in and of itself that a lack of representation is an issue. Yes. Because that conversation wouldn't exist otherwise. Right. Um, right. And I mean, WWE, if... WWE don't necessarily deserve, in fact, they don't deserve credit for deciding to take a, uh, an African American uh, performer and make him WWE champion. Uh, but they, well, I think where the credit should come is in their decision to consciously lean into that aspect of it to raise awareness of their own failure historically, which I'm not saying is why they were doing it. They were probably, it's WWE, they were probably doing it because it sells well with the PR. But nonetheless, you know, I think that, so you've got it, I think you've got to make that very careful but extremely important differentiation between giving them credit for going with an African American champion and giving them credit for highlighting the fact that there's been a lack of representation for the African-American community at the height of their company for all this time in a manner that is utterly inexcusable. And, and it's that second one that's important. The first one, like you say, they shouldn't be given credit for because it's not in and of itself something to give credit for. What they should be given credit for is highlighting it as an issue that needs resolving. Yes. There is an element of that to it. There, there's a, Biggie um, apparently finally had a sit down with Hulk Hogan 
Um, the New Day have been very vocal, not overwhelmingly like you know pounding the drum or anything like that, but they have not been quiet about the fact that they have not exactly been thrilled about the fact that Hulk Hogan is back in the fold of the WWE family. Um, but a tweet went out. Uh, Big E mentioned that apparently he and Hulk uh, had a talk of some sort. Uh, I don't know who else was involved. That's you know that's between them. Uh, all I know is what Big E was you know what he shared with the world. Um, and he mentioned that you know that there is a place for redemption, um, and this was at least a step in the right direction for WWE. They should not be praised for finally doing something they should have done a long time ago, but there is a modicum of praise that should be uh, dished out for the fact that they they didn't just pretend like it never happened. Um, they they did acknowledge the fact that yes, this is something that has been an issue that has been a problem. And that is hopefully now at le- it's not an issue anymore. And frankly, if if you want to know whether or not this was an issue, you need look no further than a video that I saw going around on Twitter last night in the aftermath of the match uh, of Shad Gaspard and MVP were apparently yeah, together true. enjoying the match, and both men were in tears. Um, you know, MVP, a long-standing veteran of the business, Shad's been up and down the road as well. Uh, these are two guys who, uh, it's safe to say, probably fairly jaded by the professional wrestling business. And if it means that much to them, people in the business, then that that should be all the indication that you need. Uh, I saw another video going around of um, of a young lady. Uh, apparently a wrestling fan, obviously. Um, she was at Disney or something like that and watching on her phone and just in absolute tears. Um, this meant something to people, and it is not it, – it is not up to you or any – not you, Sam, but <laughs> it is not up to anybody out there to determine the importance of an event well, or it's, a it's, happening it's, it's to anyone not- else. It's well, quite. But for this particular one, it's certainly not up to me, is it? Because it's not my. No. This isn't my story, you know. And I don't. And I don't. We're privileged enough, yeah, uh, to, to sit here and discuss it from a from an analytical distance, you know. It, it Absolutely. We're 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 lucky by virtue of birth to have not had to know the pain and suffering that other people have gone through in their life. So it's not for us to define that narrative to other people. So they can define that aspect for it. I can offer my two cents from a distance, which is what I absolutely. But I'll I'll leave the the definition of it historically to the people who are most directly, uh, right. you know, to, to individuals who are most directly affected by it. From my perspective, I'm lucky enough to be able to say it was a fucking awesome wrestling match, and I thought yes. it was it was it was transcendent of the business, and it's very 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 rarefied air that you're breathing when you get to that stage. Absolutely. And what I meant by that was not, you know, you or me or or anything like that. It was, there are, of course, going to be those pricks out there who are like, well, what does it matter? This and that. And, you know, this, whatever. Uh, There's, that's a whole can of worms I'd really rather not open at this juncture. Uh, There's some assholes out there. Let's just put it that way, to put it very bluntly. There's some assholes out there who just like raining on people's parades and dictating who and what is and shouldn't, should or should not be significant. Uh, even though they have no leg to stand on as it pertains to understanding why it's significant in the fucking first place. Um, and th- this was significant for multiple reasons. Again, I don't just want to harp on the race thing because, again, this is the culmination of a career by Kofi Kingston. This man has never once gotten in trouble. You've never heard any negative thing about Kofi Kingston in over a decade in mm-hmm. WWE. 
the thing is telling us 90 seconds, by the way, uh, just as a brief interruption. It's probably going to cut off. We're not remotely kind of done here, but we're going to keep going, and you guys can catch it. Uh, you know, Maybe it'll keep broadcasting live. I think Blog Talk changed that around a little bit. But either way, it's going to be here in the archives if you want to hear the rest of the show. Uh, but we ain't quitting is what I'm getting at. Bottom line is that just from a sheer the sheer perspective of Kofi Kingston as the culmination of a career well done, this this would be significant. This would be significant just under those auspices. Uh, but then you add the other stuff into it, and and that really it doesn't make it transcendent. Uh, this transcends the wrestling business. This is this is a damn big deal. And again, uh, you mentioned it, and I don't want to you know just talk about the other stuff and and neglect the fact that this was a damn good match. Um, it was it was a damn good match. Uh, these guys put on one hell of a show. Um, and I mean, I was talking to my girlfriend, Kirsty afterwards and, you know, in the aftermath of it. And, you know, it, it was it, it, Xavier's in there trying to hold Kofi up on his shoulders, Xavier and Biggie, and Xavier can barely even hold him up because Xavier's just weeping. Um, and, you know, the kids are in there and they're celebrating, obviously ex- symbolic of really the significance of what this meant to you know, some people out there. Um, but I was like, you know what? Maybe not the most, but one of the people who this maybe meant the most to, and who who is really couldn't be much more happier for Kofi, much more happy for Kofi Kingston, is probably Daniel Bryan. Um, Daniel Bryan was probably elated to have been a part of this, and you could tell that in his performance. He went all out. Uh, they both just. Probably Kofi Kingston's best performance. Uh, Daniel Bryan is in rare form here lately. Uh, the character, the performances, everything, the total package of what Daniel Bryan's doing right now. He is just man. This is this is this is his second half of Shawn Michaels' career. You know where Shawn like had what he had and it was already Hall of Fame worthy and awesome and great. But then he came back and just really put a fucking exclamation point on it. That's what Daniel Bryan's doing right now. Uh, he yeah. may he's I mean, never been better. And the match itself was was I mean the body language was was spectacular. The way that New Day and Rowan played a, a non intrusive but crucial role on the outside yeah. was, was very well judged. The um, the counters were were just seamless. They were so smooth. Um, and I think what I most loved it had and again I don't I don't want to come off as as someone who's quite bitter. But uh, had this been a match taking place in NXT you'd have probably had an extra 10 minutes of people kicking out of increasingly ridiculously brutal things at the back end of it. Absolutely. What I you like, would, you would have seen it. 15 trouble in paradises and there yeah, would have been, absolutely. you know, at, yeah. at least 12 knees to the face. And yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I loved about it was that Brian hit the knee, Kofi kicked out dramatic, very few people kick out of the knee. And then one trouble in paradise was all it took for, for Kofi to pick up the win. And I, 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 it was so in keeping with that, what I was talking about earlier, with that sort of restrained restraint that the action had throughout the whole night, um, that I really, really admired that. I thought that was that was fantastic to see a, such a precisely judged, expertly told story with such meaning and such heart and soul was just like, well, like I said earlier, it was, it was transcendent. I think it's, it's one of very, 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 very few matches that share a certain space in, in WWE history. I wouldn't be able to define for you what that space is. I would just be able to tell you what matches I think belong in there, and that's one of them. Yes, 
And the, of course, the it, I don't want to go without mentioning the the poetic backdrop of the fact that Kofi Kingston last night was Daniel Bryan. Yes, what? I mean, he was he was Daniel Bryan from WrestleMania 35 years after the fact. Uh, it was the virtually the same story being told, and, and they they could not have done it any better. Um, just I mean, the the two men, you know, who, who just told the story. It was spot on. It was uh, it was the moment of the night for me. Um, it it was uh, there were there were some tears. Uh, especially when his kids got in there and and they were just you know uh, his oldest son just just so obviously excited uh, seeing Xavier in tears uh, really kind of hit me for some reason uh, because um, he's a good guy you know I, I get that from from Austin that, that he's a good guy um, and he uh, just. He's gone on record as saying, you know, that he disagrees with Steve Austin's sentiment that if you're not in the business to be the world champion, well, then what the hell are you in the business for? Well, he says that he his main motivation in the business up until this point has been to do anything in his power to get that belt around Kofi Kingston's waist. Uh, and there's something to be said about that. Um, is that necessarily the greatest recipe for success in the professional wrestling business? Maybe not. But uh, does it does it? It's symbolic of somebody who gives a shit. And uh, and I don't know. That made it mean something a little more to me uh, seeing that, and just I, it it was a moment. Uh, we could talk about it for another hour, and we wouldn't really scratch the surface of of the significance. And so I guess we should go ahead and move on. But uh, everything about what went down uh, from from the beginning of the video package uh, till the time they cut away to recap the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Um, Everything there was was spot the fuck on. Just yeah, yep, totally. excellent, excellent. Just that that right there, all of that is exactly why professional wrestling is the greatest form of entertainment ever. <laughs> I mean, oh. it, it, you don't get that from anywhere else. Period. And. uh yeah, it was it was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, we had a little comedy segment with Jost and Shay backstage, uh, and uh, they wind up with uh, you know they're in the getting checked on by the doctors, and the doctors wind up being Hall and Nash. Uh, uh, Nash makes a prostate exam joke, which you know uh, it was nice to see Hall and Nash. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was then time for the U- uh, the United States title match. Uh, we had Rey Mysterio taking on Samoa Joe. Joe, of course, the champion. Again, this was one uh, we mentioned at the top of the show. This was one that I legit thought could wind up stealing this show in some ways. You know, I didn't think it was going to be the best match on the card, but I thought that it was going to be one that it was like, wow, that was significant. You know, um, and it 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 was not uh, because it lasted uh, maybe thirty, not thirty, but maybe a minute, maybe. Uh, I'm going to have to go to Wikipedia or something here shortly just so I can find out what the hell that was all about because, man, uh, it was uh, – I mean time-wise, uh, it was uh, it was short. It was very short and uh, not a whole lot to it. It certainly was not a show-stealer by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it was just kind of – I almost wonder if it was intended to be this. Uh, oh, it was apparently exactly a minute, exactly a minute long from bell to bell. Um, it makes me wonder whether or not this was intended to be that or if it was intended to be a longer match and they were just like, shit, we're running low on time uh, or what. Um, I don't know, but it was certainly uh, a thing that happened, and it, it made Joe look like a badass, so I ain't mad at it. 
Yeah, that's the key thing, I think. Joe looks good for having done it. Um, Ray doesn't look any less good for having done it. Uh, I actually didn't expect this to be anything more than it was. I, I thought it was going to be a squash heading into it because of the story about Ray's injury doing the rounds. Um, and you usually get at least like one uh, see, squash I did, I on, the, on the Mania. Okay. And tradition dictates you always get like at least one squash on the Mania mid-card anyway. So um, I kind of figured it was going to be that. And it was that. So great. Yeah, I didn't know that Mysterio was coming into it injured, uh, or that probably, I guess, would have painted my expectations in a, a bit of a different tone. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it made Joe look like a badass, and I'm I'm never upset about Samoa Joe looking like a badass because he is one. Uh, we then move on to uh, yet another grudge match here, and this one uh, fairly well-defined over the course of the last little bit. Uh, you know, we were talking about no really well-defined storylines, Uh you know, I guess there's an arguable point to be made that this may have been the best put-together storyline over the course of, of this WrestleMania build, frankly. Um, Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre uh, putting together a thing here. McIntyre, of course, kind of ripping his way through the shield and, and taking out Ambrose and, you know, beating down Roman. And McIntyre just really on a tear here. Uh, Reigns really kind of still experiencing, experiencing the whole comeback vibe, even though he's had, a, you know, a few matches now. Uh, it still kind of felt like Roman Reigns' comeback match, almost, you know? Um, and, yeah, Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre had a match, and it was a, a pretty good match. Uh, Drew continues to show me that that he's uh, – there's there's something there. Uh, I, I didn't I w- didn't really super-duper think that there would be uh, originally, uh, but there there is certainly something there, and, and I'm not uh, – uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm definitely interested to see where it goes because um, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he's going to be. Uh, there's, it, it certainly seems as though he's going to have some issue with Seth Rollins uh, in the not too distant future. That that seems to be kind of you know almost a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a good match. Uh, Roman gets the win, and it it, it very much like the uh, the Orton versus Styles match to me. It, it did exactly what it needed to do without being uh, overindulgent. Yeah, absolutely. Came in, told a nice story, gave Roman the win. I think Roman's win was necessitated by the story they told about his, you know, victorious uh, fight against leukemia and now his return to the to the industry and stuff. So I'm happy with, with Roman picking up the win. It's, it's a match I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. By this point in the night, fatigue was beginning to set in, so I can't remember it too well. But I do remember it carrying on that theme of, of being restrained, uh, keeping things relatively uh, simple, uh, and, and a hark back to a time I preferred in terms of the actual predominant style of wrestling. So I liked it. Um, solid stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, there's really not a whole lot more to say about it, honestly. Uh, uh, it, it it was a solid match, uh, as it well should have been. Uh, I mean, I think at this point, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, uh, Roman Reigns has become one of those guys that you can count on to deliver a solid match for you. Um, and and he and Drew McIntyre very much did so here. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a good match. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, we come back from a little bit of a break thing, and uh, – and we have Elias. Uh, he's up on the big screen uh, pulling in the old three faces of Foley here because uh, he's playing the drums. And then there's another Elias playing the piano. And then we have Elias in the ring playing the guitar. And they play a little thing together. And and it was kind of cool, actually. I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty spiffy. Um, but then we get um, 
I, talk about random, man. Uh, we got a special bulletin thing, and it was weirdly an old retro clip of Babe Ruth calling his shot and hitting that home run from way on back in the day, which was like, okay, this is a thing, and I didn't know what the hell was going to come of it, frankly. And then it culminated with the doctor of thugonomics making his return. Um, John Cena, old school John Cena, came out there. Um, and it was a thing that had happened. Um, he wound up doing a little rap, and it was entertaining for what it was. I always enjoyed that era of John Cena, frankly, uh, uh, you know, and, and I still enjoy it. I, this was a fun little segment. Uh, I, I'm, I didn't upset me in the least. I, I was a pleasant surprise, frankly, for me at least. Um, I was kind of hoping that maybe John Cena would play a different role in the evening, which we'll talk about here in just a few moments. But um, it was just all kind of a bit weird. <laughs> I don't exactly know what to make of this segment, uh, but uh, it winds up with an fu and and Cena making his exit, and yeah, at least he was in Mania. Um, oh, yeah, at least he, was uh, at Mania. he couldn't have been on Mania. I mean, this thing he it was it was a decent enough segment. It was kept short. It was you know entertaining fluff, so relatively inoffensive, and it played on the nostalgia card, so it didn't kill the crowd. But I saw an interview actually. It might have been on. I don't know where it was after he'd done his appearance and he, he was talking about how he didn't want to take a spot away from the, you know, the guys of today and stuff. So let's keep it short. And yet in spite of not wanting to take a spot away from the guys of today, he still managed to end up in a segment that took time away from the guys of today and saw him get the better of one of the guys of today. So it, it you know, it's just why even be on the show? If there was nothing for you at WrestleMania, which he said was the case to begin with, why even be on the show? You know, it was refreshing to not have the undertaker this year uh, no offense. Speak um, for yourself. For me, yeah, for me it was. <laughs> um, uh, and I would rather have just not seen Tina. I'd rather this segment not have happened at all because this is this is where the issues, the main issues with these ludicrous long WrestleManias come in. You know, there's, there's just an article online at the minute that's tied up the listed match times for every match on this show. This was a seven and a half hour show all in, and there was two and a half hours of wrestling on it. Right. Or maybe close to three hours of wrestling, which is less than half of the show actually wrestling. I mean, that's insane. You know, and segments like this are, are, are one massive contributor to it. So, inoffensive, but, you know, why it wasn't just left on the cutting room Also, floor, yeah, also unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, I found myself, like, when they were doing the whole Babe Ruth thing and all that stuff, I was kind of, um, I was honestly hoping it would be Bray Wyatt. Uh, I don't know why the hell Bray Wyatt would tie into Babe Ruth in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but, I mean, I just kind of found myself, you know, the lights were out, the fireflies were in full effect. I was kind of like, oh, it would be cool if Bray came back right now and just kicked Elias' ass for some strange reason, you know? Uh, but it wound up being Cena, and it, you know, it doesn't bother me, so um, it it was inoffensive, but it, it, it was entertaining. And uh, again, uh, I suppose no harm, no foul. Uh, but it, it, it's not like it really contributed anything. Uh, it was nice to see the Doctor of Thugonomics again, though, because I, I really did enjoy that era of John Cena's career. Um, but anyways, we move on from there. We get our video package and all that good stuff leading up to the no-holds-barred match. Triple H's career on the line, Batista versus Triple H. Now, we've talked about this one already. Um, so we're, we don't have to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on it. Cause I think we've already broken down a fair bit of it, uh, at the beginning of the program. Um, poor Dave just last time he came back, he had the horrible misfortune of it coinciding with the whole Daniel Bryan thing, um, which wasn't his fault. And 
I mean, I, I've said this before, but I remember like when they started showing like the the videos of like all oh, the animals returning and stuff. People were losing their minds. Like the crowds were going nuts. People online were like, "Oh shit, Batista, this is going to be awesome." And then the Daniel Bryan stuff happened, and it was suddenly like, "Fuck Batista" for some reason. <laughs> and the whole blue Tista and boo Tista and all that stuff happened, and it just really kind of went sour and. And I mean, I watched the um, documentary thing they did about him, you know, when when he, you know, that about his comeback, and you know, it really kind of made me feel a little bad that it it apparently kind of hurt his feelings, you know, um, and and I mean because Batista seems like a nice enough guy, uh, and then apparently kind of hurt his feelings a little bit that that the reaction was the way that it was, and it was just really poor timing. Um, so I mean. Add to that the fact that the, the poor dude spit all over the microphone not long ago and just kept saying, I want what I want, um, and singing Spice Girls. Um, and then the poor bastard shows up at WrestleMania, cool entrance, you know, getting out of a, getting out of an SUV and all the pyro and everything, and it was, you know, it was cool. And then he fucking tripped getting in the ring. <laughs> I mean, Dave, man, poor Dave. <laughs> 30 seconds later, the gifts and memes are already signed. I mean, absolutely. I, Dave Dave Batista is just is like if you if you're in the habit of making memes on the internet, Dave Batista is just like a, a god's gift to you because oh, he's he just a gold mine. But it, uh, you know, he, the thing is, I can imagine it does hurt his feelings a little bit, but he does always seem to take it somewhat in good humor, and uh, and I've yeah. always. So I came back, to, I took a reprieve from, from wrestling for a couple of years. Uh, I came back to it in 2007, and, and uh, the, the main reason why I sort of ended up staying with it up until today was because of the Batista-Undertaker rivalry. Right. And, and I think that's probably why I have such an affection for Batista specifically. Um, I, I am a huge Batista fan. I think he's infinitely superior and always was to John Cena in terms of his talent in the ring and his talent for just understanding what works and what doesn't work and why it works and why it doesn't work. Um, and he's contributed almost as much as... It's certainly when they were both in the company at the same time, I would say he's contributed just as much to the company as John oh, Cena. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But everyone, absolutely. everyone always talks about John Cena's run. They never talk about Batista's run. Um, yeah. And... I mean, you know, last night, this guy hasn't wrestled a single thing. He's not even been in the ring for, well, since 2014. Right. Um, so it was always going to be relatively deliberately paced for that reason. Um, but I and thought, of course, it, and of course thought, that's why it was a no-holds-barred match, you know. Indeed, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But I thought he made a good accounting of himself. Absolutely. Uh, I was... I was happy he got a moment in the sun to sort of have a, a proper farewell to the business. I'll always be a huge Batista fan. Um, uh, oh, and by the way, you know, contributed as much wrestling as John Cena has done better in Hollywood than John Cena as well. So there's that as well. But um, the, uh, the the thing for me is, uh, well, like you say, we've already discussed it really, is that it's not necessarily I have an issue with the match. I actually look forward to revisiting it in isolation. Just the, a 30-minute Triple H slow-paced match at this point in the card, I think, was probably a, a, a bad decision to make. Um because it did take the wind out of the sails. But yeah, I look forward to revisiting the match. And, and like I say, I'm a huge Batista fan. So um, he's, to be fair, he's probably, he's probably in, in my m- sort of top six or seven favorites ever. Oh, 
that's somewhat unexpected for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, that just doesn't seem like Batista would really fit into that uh, into, into that grouping of guys. Uh, but I got a lot of love for Batista. I always have. Um, I, I've always felt like he kind of got the short end of the stick. You know, uh, you look back at WrestleMania 21, and it's like, oh, it's the beginning of the Cena era and stuff. No, no, no. There were there were two men crowned champions that evening, and they both carried the load for a while. Um, and, and Dave Batista was one of them. Uh, he's He's just – there's something about Batista. He's a likable guy. Of course, uh, Kirsty was watching along with me, and she kept cheering for Drax, um, and, yeah. which was entertaining in and of itself. Um, there, was some, there was some fun stuff in the match. Uh, you know, I liked how Triple H got a little sadistic, and, you know, like, you know he ripped out the – he stole the page from, uh, from Randy Orton's playbook. Uh, to a degree, a recent playbook, at least the Jeff Hardy feud with the the pliers on the hand and then ripping out the nose ring and all that good stuff. Uh, so I mean, th- there was some fun there. And, and it did take a little while to get rolling, but once they kind of got into the swing of things, like they, it was like it all came back to Batista, you know. He, uh, they, he had a good showing for himself. Uh, Triple H had a good showing for himself. It was a good match. Uh, somewhat poetic that Ric Flair would be the one to come down there and get involved, you know, uh, not just because, of course, it was him getting beat up that really kind of kicked off this era of the or this this chapter of the feud, but also just because of the role that he played, you know, in Evolution and stuff like that, you know. So, you know, it, it was it was fitting for what it was. Um, I, there is a big part of me that would have loved to have seen Dave Batista get the win. Uh, but I knew that wasn't going to happen because Hunter's career was on the line, and I knew that was not a thing. Um, I, I was sitting there thinking, uh, how the hell is Triple H ready to go just, what, like five months or so after that horrible pectoral tear that he had? Not pec. Uh, no, it wasn't. It, it, he yeah, fucked himself pec. up. Like <laughs> – uh, that picture is one of the most painful looking pictures. That that picture of him, like where his whole fucking chest and orange, orange shoulder and stuff is black. Like that, that, that was just you feel that. Uh, that guy can't be completely healed from that. Uh, but for what it was, they absolutely uh, made a, a damn good showing of themselves, and it was probably my favorite Triple H match at WrestleMania in a long time, frankly. Uh, oh, I, I have not really enjoyed a Triple H match at WrestleMania in, in a good while. Um, and it's the first match that he's won at WrestleMania since he beat Sting, which should never have fucking happened. Um, the Mad Max entrance was a bit head-scratchy. Uh, uh, yeah, to say the least. Uh, you know, uh, confusing, uh, but kind of coolish, I guess. I mean, it really kind of took away from the... Driving the car down to the ring took away from the whole his march to the ring spitting water thing that he does so well. It, I don't know. It, that's neither here nor there. It was a good match. I enjoyed getting to see Batista one more time, um, and I look forward to seeing him the next time we see him, which is hopefully when he is inducted into the Hall of Fame, as he very much rightfully deserves. Uh, he has uh, sent out a statement saying that he is now retired from professional wrestling, and, um, you know, not unexpected in the very least. We kind of all saw that coming. Uh, but, you know, he, he he went out on a high note, I would say. Uh, it was a fun match. I'm looking forward to revisiting it as well. One match that I will never though would be Kurt Angle's farewell match. Uh, Kurt Angle versus Baron Corbin. Uh, uh, 
there was nothing necessarily wrong with it. And there's something to be said about Kurt going out on his back, you know, just losing clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring to the guy's finisher, to the young talent's finisher. I mean, there's something to be said about that. But, man, there's also something to be said about the fact that Kurt Angle should have won that fucking match. Um, It it just would have been nice. It wouldn't have done a damn thing to hurt Baron Corbin because I don't think you can hurt Baron Corbin any more than he's already hurt. The man has no gimmick whatsoever. Uh, he's still wrestling under the gimmick that he was wrestling under six months ago when it meant something, but it hasn't meant anything in six months. Why is Baron Corbin still wearing a fucking waistcoat to wrestle? I don't know. Uh, or a vest to my, the, the American fans out there. Um, I, you got me. You got me. Uh, but he ultimately gets the win. Uh, over Kurt Angle, and I mean, I, I guess it doesn't hurt Kurt or anything like that to have lost this match, and I guess it's kind of the, the you know, stand-up thing to do in terms of the wrestling business, but uh, I, I, I know I'm not the only one who didn't want to see Baron Corbin win this match, and frankly, I was kind of hoping that we would wind up with, like, Baron Corbin getting jumped backstage or, you know, something happens, and uh, lo and behold, you know, Kurt Angle issues an open challenge, and who answers said challenge? John Cena. Uh, I I thought that would have been very fitting um, because, I mean, of course, one of the notable instances in Kurt Angle's WWE career is the fact that he had John Cena's first, you know, main roster WWE match. Um so that, that, I don't know. There would have been something kind of poetic and nice about that, uh, but it wasn't in the cards. Uh, apparently, Cena just finished filming a movie like a couple of days ago, so you know it's not like he would have been remotely prepared to get in there and have a match, uh, especially against Kurt Angle, who is not the performer that he was. Uh, that has been readily obvious. I, mean, I, I was looking forward to watching the match between Kurt and Chad Gable that happened uh, uh, about a month ago. Uh, and was a little sad after having done so because I I realized I really that that would have been uh, just a fucking phenomenal match if it would have happened like even just five years ago you know um, but was what it was Kurt Angle goes out on his back um, gets the love from the crowd and was what it was and I guess if nothing else at least now Baron Corbin has something to crow about uh, but really. When hasn't he had something to crow about, and what good has it ever fucking done him? Yeah, Baron Corbin crows about all kinds of crap when he's got nothing. To, I, it, just everything about him is an embarrassment at this point. His character has so been poorly mishandled. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to hate guys he still wrestling in his suit. Exactly. That is stupid. That's what I was talking about there. I mean, like, it made sense kind of sort of-ish when he was, like, the interim general manager or whatever the hell, but, like... It's just dumb at this point. Like, why the fuck are you dressed like that? What is your character? And he looks, and he he acts and looks like a moron as well, which doesn't help. I mean, he no, went he's, around he's saying, become I don't know whether really? I don't know I don't know whether it was scripted or not, but he went around saying that he was going to be the new WWE's new Olympic gold medalist when he beat Kang. It's like that doesn't even make sense. That's not a thing. That's not yeah, happening. exactly, dude. So, like and I mean, well, there's if you if you saw the end of the Hall of Fame ceremony, uh, Triple H was just spraying the bejesus out of Baron with a super soaker. Uh, <laughs> I think that's kind of symbolic of something. I'm not entirely sure what. Uh, I don't know if it is just it, why is Baron Corbin still around? Because maybe Triple H has got a soft spot for him for some reason, or why is he still around? Maybe because Triple H likes fucking with him. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I don't know what the fuck Baron Corbin's doing here lately, and I don't even know how to fix him at this point. 
Yeah, I can't summon up enough enough uh, of anything to care, to be honest, about I mean, I was really... him or, or, or about the Kurt Angle match. It was the fluff that it was going to be. I mean, I I don't, you know, I tend to hit or miss with agreeing with the, the online sentiment, you know, as a, as that, whatever that is at a given moment. But I couldn't have agreed more that, uh, that Baron Corbin was not the right opponent for Kurt Angle's last match. Now, from the perspective of like, yes, they have had an ongoing storyline for months and months, sure. But why not resolve that? You know, at one of the two pay-per-views between Rumble and here or something, you know, that that could have been resolved before and then just give Kurt Angle kind of a fluff finisher match, you know, like just stick him against a dream opponent, you know, and then nobody would have cared if he won or he lost or whatever, as long as it was a good match. You know, if it would have wound up being John Cena answering an open challenge and hearkening back to that kind of iconic moment, that would have been perfect um, or, or something similar to that even. But this Baron Corbin thing just really fell flat from the jump. Uh, people were up in arms about it, and I would say justifiably so. And it just it fell flat in the ring, and it I I ultimately don't give a shit, which is not how I wish Kurt Angle's farewell match would have gone. I guess I, I thought Kurt deserved better than that, but if not, I mean I'm not even saying he should have won. Uh, he should have, but I'm not. That's not what I'm getting at. It's just that he deserved a better quality of opponent and uh, and a better match than he got here. But he got neither, and now Kurt Angle's retired, and we get to listen to Baron Corbin talk about how he beat Kurt Angle in his farewell match, and what did he goddamn do? I suppose. I mean, it it ultimately makes Kurt Angle's final match mean kind of dick. So whatever. We move on from there, though, to the WWE Intercontinental Championship match. Bobby Lashley coming out there with green contacts and looking kind of badass, to be completely yeah, honest. I thought, yeah. I, I thought he looked pretty badass. Uh, I still think he's boring uh, as yeah. watching paint dry on grass growing. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he looked cool. Um, and speaking of looking cool, the Demon King, Finn Balor, uh, he looked awfully cool. Uh, you know, I still didn't exactly see any big difference between him and regular old Finn Balor, but you know, it, okay. Um, he winds up getting the victory and gets the intercontinental championship back around his waist in a relatively short match. Um, this one was crippled for me by the fact that I just, I could not care less about Bobby Lashley. Uh, I, I just do not care at all about Bobby Lashley. Um, and thus, I didn't care about this match. Bobby Lashley was to this match uh, as the women's tag team titles are to the match that they had. Like, it wasn't that it was necessarily bad or that the people involved were even bad or anything. It's just I don't give a shit about those belts. And just the fact that I don't give a shit about Bobby Lashley inherently made me not care about this. Aside from I, I was interested in seeing how cool Balor's entrance was, and it was pretty cool. So, yay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, Balor's entrance was cool, good imagery, uh, and the match was decent as well. To be fair, I, I thought it, yeah, I mean, it, it was, was a strong enough short form piece of work. So, and like you say, Bobby Lashley actually looked relatively impressive for once, but uh, also fuck Bobby Lashley. Because uh, he's not very interesting, and uh, uh, yeah, fine. Glad the IC titles back with Finn. That's very true. That's very true. 
And, well, uh, that leaves us with uh, just one match left here. Um, and, well, uh, well, actually, no, no. We had to take a quick break because uh, Carmella and The Truth had to come out there and, and dance around a little bit. Um, they had a big seven-second dance break because that's a thing that happens. Yeah, Alexa Bliss came in and said, now it's the part of the show where we get down to business. And I was like, yeah. what have we been doing for six hours? Right. And and by the way, where the fuck have you been, host of WrestleMania? Yeah. Like, she showed up at the beginning, and then she was like, oh, sorry, Saturday Night Live guys, here, hang out with the outsiders. And that was like it. That, that was all. <laughs> um, there's, I yeah. mean, there's, there's a wrestling metaphor for there's been one, isn't there? SNL hanging out with the outsiders. Uh, well, you know, there you go. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, that leaves the main event of the evening, and uh, we are going to discuss that in full here in just a moment, but we are going to take our final break here right quick. We'll be right back at you after this right here. Burn it down! Yeah, it's somehow It's somehow not quite the same. It's... It, it, it it it's it's really not it I, sorry <laughs> main event time guys winner takes all triple threat match for the smackdown and raw uh women's championships we have got the queen charlotte flair who was queening it up big time she came in in a helicopter and then apparently like walked half a mile to the fucking stadium or something all right what the could have had a golf cart waiting for her or some shit <laughs> But right on. Um, Becky Lynch, of course, who is – Becky Lynch is Becky Lynch. Uh, and Ronda Rousey, um, who I have to say, uh, they had Joan Jett and the Blackhearts there, which is pretty damn cool. Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Joe, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Uh, they sang Bad Reputation, and then it was all kind of – the coolness of that was ruined by the fact that Ronda Rousey did her sullen three-year-old march down to the ring. Um I don't know, it's it looks just silly, doesn't it? She looks absolutely ridiculous when she is walking down to the ring like that. Uh, I, she just never quite got it. Um, and I'm not, she's not gone or anything, I don't think. But uh, I, I think last I heard, nobody seemed to fucking know. Uh, you know, was she signed on for a year? Was she signed on for multi year? Is she going to leave and have a kid? Is she going to stick around and, and have more matches against all these different people? Are we eventually going to see four horsewomen versus four horsewomen? Nobody seems to know the answer to any of these questions. Uh, very much like Brock Lesnar over the course of the last couple of years. We're just going to have to wait and see what the hell happens, I suppose. Uh, but uh, she, 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 she surprised me by being very good at some things. Uh, she seemed to take to the in-ring aspect of the game fairly well, and, and I've not really had any complaints about that. But in terms of just character, man, that just has never clicked for her. And she did. That's what she looked like. She looked like an angry toddler uh, marching her way down to the ring. Um, and, yeah, also very much like a toddler, she seems to have an odd fascination with, with the word bitch. Uh, just everything has to be a bitch. Uh, tables are for bitches, apparently, uh, she announced during the course of the match. Uh, which tables are for bitches. Tables Come are for on. bitches, uh, which is like, oh, 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 all right, I guess I'll find something different to eat my dinner on. Uh, yeah. But um, right on. Um, if, any, if, any, if anyone's going to rival Dave Batista for walking meme machine, you've got to think it's going to be Ronda Rousey at this point. Right. It, 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 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Becky looked like a million damn dollars, walked out there like she felt like a million damn dollars, performed like a million damn dollars. It was Becky Lynch's fucking night, okay? But that is not to take away from the fact that, man, there's a reason that Charlotte is Charlotte. And I, I was – I talked about this last night uh, to my lady friend. Charlotte might be the best overall performer in the company right now if you just take in-ring performance and just – she has such a firm grasp on exactly who her character is, and she plays it to absolute hilt. Like she is the queen, and there's no question about it. And then when she gets in the ring, she's just – She's mean. Like, she, oh, she's got a, a nasty streak. No, 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 no. Charlotte's mean. Like, she will do nasty things to you uh, to get what she wants. And that, that she is so incredibly well-defined in all aspects of the game. And I, I just wanted to give props for that because she was almost the afterthought in this. Charlotte was the one that nobody wanted involved in this. And frankly, Charlotte didn't need to be involved in this. It should have been Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch. I'm sure it will be at some point in the not-too-distant future, but it should have been Becky versus Ronda. But if you were going to have somebody else in there, you could do a hell of a lot worse than Charlotte Flair. Um, She was on her fucking game last night, as was Becky, and Ronda played her part as well as you would need her to. If she just would have kept her fucking mouth shut and and not marched around like a four-year-old, then everything would have been just fine. Uh, that bump she took out of the ring when she was like hanging upside down and Becky hit her with hit her with like the baseball slide dropkick thing and she like fell on her head and shoulders. So that was brutal. Uh, I I didn't I wasn't entirely sure she was going to be getting up for a little while after that. Uh, this was a good match. Um, but I, th- I think everyone can agree uh, that the, the glaring thing with this one was that the ending was, uh, to say the least, anticlimactic. And, and I, I don't – I've read varying things. Uh, I, there was one report going around that, that it was an accident and that Becky was supposed to tap out Charlotte. Uh, I saw another thing going around that, no, it went exactly the way that it was going to go, that Becky was always going to defeat Ronda. The only debate was whether or not it was going to be via pinfall or submission, um, and every, a lot of people backstage were apparently opposed to her tapping out Ronda. Let's save that for something bigger if you're going to do it at all, blah, 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 whatever the hell. Save it for something bigger. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Uh a one-on-one match at the very least, maybe not necessarily bigger, but you know, bigger in terms of doing Becky a favor. I don't fucking know, man. Uh, that's just <laughs> what I read. Uh, but apparently the way that it went down was pretty much, uh, I saw the, another thing rumor flying around that the way that it went down was pretty much the way that it was supposed to go down. Uh, but it certainly came off as a botch. Uh, it's the ending scene botched and whether or not, the the question seems to be whether or not Ronda's shoulders were supposed to be down or not, um, because I mean, they could very easily spin it into a storyline where Ronda's like, my shoulders weren't even down, and you guys counted me anyways, uh, blah, 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 you know, fuck Becky Lynch, and then you've got a ready-made storyline moving forward, um, which writes itself, frankly. 
uh, but but I don't think that that was what was supposed to happen. It just seems to me like Ronda didn't get her fucking shoulders down, uh, and it was it's on the referee for counting it in the first place because her shoulders were not down for the one count. Okay, uh, the two and three, her shoulders were down, but that one count, her she was like a half a foot off the fucking mat. Um, the ending did not. The ending soured what up until that point was a pretty damn solid match. But it didn't sour it completely, at least not for me. I thought that they all performed very well, and I was very happy to see Becky walk that walk out with the victory because it was absolutely well-deserved and uh, an awesome feel-good moment to kind of end the show. I mean, nobody quite has the momentum at this given point in time, as does Becky Lynch. Uh, I was a little underwhelmed by it, to be honest. Uh, I don't know whether it's just because I was tired. I do need to go and re-see it, uh, see it a second time, so I'll reserve a full judgment for then. But my initial instinct was kind of like, you know, for, for all of the uh, weight that WWE had promoted it with, uh, I thought it was just a bit ordinary. Uh, I felt, uh, because triple threat matches, I imagine, are quite awkward to do. Well, the best ones, you think about WrestleMania 20, you think about Royal Rumble 2015. For me, I think about the Shield one. <clears throat> you know, that they run quite smoothly. They, they tell a story, but they do it in a really smooth, fluid fashion. And when I was watching it last night, I just thought that everything seemed to be a bit sort of jerky, like it was just moving from... It was a little one, disjointed. From one cute idea to it. I felt like that, that's, that's it. I felt like they were trying to be too clever with it. You know, and come up with all these clever uh, exchanges and and spots and stuff, rather than sort of following the theme of the rest of the night, which was just telling a solid story and making that the focus. It felt like this was the one match that was a little too concerned with trying to be a great match, rather than just telling. Because I'm not even sure what the story of the match was. Um, and again, appreciating that you know, I watched it. Uh, 5am in the morning after having been up all night and, and so I need to go and revisit it but but ultimately I was a little underwhelmed and then the, the finish um, was was particularly jarring uh, yes. because you were you, you were left thinking was that a mistake was that like was that meant to happen um, and regardless of anything else I mean you said earlier that, that Charlotte shouldn't this should have been Becky versus Ronda obviously that's the, the popular opinion I've always it should have been Becky happened. versus Charlotte yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. Ronda, I don't, I don't see why Ronda should be able to come in, and regardless of how good a year she has, find a way to the to the main event of first, you know, first ever closing women's headlining match in in WrestleMania history, when she wasn't a part of any of the work inside the confines of WWE done to get them to that point, where she didn't have any of the best women's matches from the year before where she wasn't involved in any of the hottest women's angles the year before, that was Becky and Charlotte, uh, and then fucks off, you know, the rumour then, the, the news doing the rest of the day is that she's, she's done with WWE for the time being. So she's coming, she's taken that spot, and then she's left. And it just feels to me a little bit like she's benefited from everybody else's hard work to take their moment and then go home. Uh, and... You know, whether people agree with that or not is obviously up to them. Uh, there's, there's obviously more room for more than my opinion. but um, And ultimately, you get to what is arguably the most important moment in the history of women's wrestling in all of WWE, which is the finish of the culmination of this revolution that is the first ever women's match to close out WrestleMania, and Ronda's in it, 
and she fucks it up. And that just sort of, you know, that just drove home everything that I felt that it should have been Becky and Charlotte. It, this was them. This should have been their match, their moment. They earned it. You know, they tore the house down last year. They were integral to breaking down the barriers. You know, they're the two best, most well-rounded female performers on the roster in terms of character and ring work. Uh, and Ronda was really the, the intruder here. But I, I, again, I've only seen it the once. I was very tired when I watched it. I'm going to go and sort of reserve full judgment for going back and watching it back again. I felt, however, coming out of it, that we saw better women's matches at WrestleMania 32 and 34, and those were the years that they should have closed out, and they didn't. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, this, I don't even know if this was in the... Well, it was probably in the top five of the better matches of the evening, but it definitely wasn't top three. Uh, it, it was the performances were good. The, the 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 story of the match was very disjointed. It did kind of seem like they were trying to be a little too cutesy. Um, I understand why. I can't imagine yeah, the yeah. pressure that was on Absolutely, these yeah. women. Uh, just the uh, immense pressure that was on these women. Um, and to their credit, uh, with the exception of here and there with Ronda, uh, you certainly didn't see any of that pressure weighing on Charlotte or Becky, uh, which, again, is why I get why Ronda was involved. She's a big star outside of wrestling. I, I get it. I get it. But uh, if you were just going for like, the best match possible, it should have been Becky and Charlotte. And it's like I've said on well, after Super Showdown, when we did the Aftershock after Super Showdown, like, yeah, of course I understand why Ronda is, is in the main event. But I'm not in the fucking, you know, I'm not, I'm not making money from this. Why do I give a shit whether it makes sense that she's, from a financial perspective, that she's in the main event? I don't. I'm a fan, and I want to see what I want to see. And what I wanted to see was Becky and Charlotte. And I don't have to like Ronda being in it because financially it makes sense. Right. Right. I mean, it, that's what it boils down to, really, at the end of the day. And, uh, I mean, it... The match was fine. Uh, it needed to be something a little bit more, I think, to justify all the hype that had gone into it to yeah. a degree. Um, and again, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And, you know, uh, yes, I think that the women's triple threat match was absolutely the best match uh, at, at 32 um, and, and should have headlined. Uh, that, but I mean, we didn't necessarily know that going into the event, you know, uh, I mean, well, that was a pretty damn good inclination, honestly. But, I mean, we didn't really know. and It, it is what it is. Uh, this one had enough hype behind it, and Becky's got enough, certainly. I mean, Becky's got more than enough steam behind her to have justified being in the main event, okay? Uh, regardless of who else was in it with her, Becky Lynch earned that main event, um, definitely. Um, I just personally would have much rather seen it be, I, I, hey, if, if we just had to have a triple threat, it should have been Becky Charlotte and Asuka. Uh, yeah. That would have been that would have been a fucking fantastic match, uh, and I, I, nobody will ever tell me different. Uh, but I, I get it. Ronda is who she is, and and I appreciate the work that she has put in and the obvious passion that she has for what she's doing. I mean, she hasn't rolled in here like it's some kind of bullshit thing to her. You know, uh, she doesn't give me the same vibe as does a. Uh, a Matt Riddle who just that guy irritates the sweet bejesus out of me. Uh, I, I just don't, he, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> um, but 
you know, she she actually seems invested and, and and she's trying hard. And I mean, she takes some crazy bumps and shit like that. You know, credit where credit is due. But it but, was but, but but see, I even have an issue with that though because she's only doing what every other fucker in the entire industry does. So why does oh, she yeah. want special praise for it? You know, she you know what she I mean, well, I mean she does it. That's the thing. She doesn't. She's she's there on name value alone. I mean that that is what that is. You know, is she damn good for a rookie? Absolutely. But she's there because of what her name is, and that is – nobody can tell me different. Nobody can tell any well-versed wrestling fan any different. The only reason Ronda Rousey was in the main event is because Ronda Rousey is fucking Ronda Rousey. No, her, her performance did not warrant it by any stretch of the imagination. But it is what it is. Uh, Becky Lynch is now the – I guess basically the undisputed women's champion, and, and it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Like is she going to have to choose a belt to defend? Uh, and drop the other one? Uh, is there now going to be an undisputed women's champion that journeys back and forth between both shows? Uh, that would kind of halfway almost make sense, given what they've been doing with the, the, the women's tag team titles. You know, they've kind of made them somewhat, uh, you know, universal, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, um, do you know what I would love to see is uh, talk about big moments on Postmania Raw. She's got the two main roster women's championships. I would love to see Shayna Baszler pop up. On Raw oh, yeah. tomorrow night with the NXT Women's Championship, especially because be Becky legit. just beat, especially because Ronda is the one that Becky just beat, um, yes. and for something to happen, I can get very excited about the prospect of Shayna versus Becky because I'm a huge fan <laughs> of Baszler. I think she's fantastic. Um, that would be pretty sweet. That would absolutely be pretty sweet. And I think that I think Shayna Baszler is, you know, we talked about Pete Dunne before. Shayna Baszler is maybe even, you know, the the bigger possible potential surprise. Uh, yeah. If they were gonna if they were gonna pull anybody out of NXT, that was a big deal at this given point in time. Uh, you're looking at either her or Velveteen Dream, I guess. You know, people would definitely pop for that. Uh, but I mean, I don't think they can necessarily afford to lose two champions right now. You know, but. Um, uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, I don't know. Adam Cole and and the Undisputed Era could show up as well. I maybe. mean, that could be yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. that could be something. I, I I'm still not exactly a massive fan of the Undisputed Era in terms of like you know being. I, I enjoy their performances. You know, they're great in the ring, but I'm not exactly excited about them in terms of like character persona investment in storylines. You know, so. From a creative aspect, I suppose, the Undisputed Era doesn't do it for me. From a performance aspect, they kill it. So, I mean, you know, I guess that is what that is. But it's going to be interesting to see how Becky proceeds, though, um, and what's next for her. Is there a one-on-one with Ronda coming up? Are we going to see her revisit the thing with Charlotte? Um, You know, they've made such a big hyping thing about, oh, there's no more automatic rematch clauses, even though they've been continuously doing automatic rematches. Uh, you know, so no, 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 no. Now, see... they're, now they're just non-automatic rematches. Yes, they're just rematches. Yeah. Uh, um, could we see her move on to Shayna. Could we see her move on to Oscar or, or hell, Carmella just won the battle royal. I mean, who knows? Who knows where Becky Lynch goes from here? Uh, it'll be interesting to to see, um, and whether or not. With all of this hype and and all the momentum that is behind her and her crowning as the man, the inherent problem with every damn bit of it is that she does not have the women's roster to support her. Um, I I just don't see it because they have put such a large focus. We've spoken about this before. We've spoken about it here on this show. They put such a large focus over the last little bit on Ronda and Becky 
and Charlotte that the rest of the division has been cast in the shadows, and not a single fucking one of them seems worthy to get in the ring with arguably the biggest star in the business right now. Uh, and that's a problem. That's a big problem. If Stone Cold Steve Austin had walked out of WrestleMania 14 with the WWE Championship and not had a Mick Foley waiting in the rings, uh, in the wings, then what would you have had? You know, if his next best opponent was Billy Gunn or some shit, then uh, the Austin era may not have taken off <laughs> as it did. You know, the Attitude Era would have been a very different landscape if the next best opponent was kind of a guy who had been presented as not exactly the hottest shit. Um, and that is what Becky is staring down right now. She's got all the momentum, all the fan support. Now she's got the belt, but what does she do next? Um, and, and that's the massive question that is hanging right now. And I suppose Raw and SmackDown will go a long way towards answering those questions, hopefully. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by what we have to look forward to over the course of these next couple of nights, not the least of which because, as we spoke about before, uh, they've already made all these NXT call-ups. There's not exactly any hot free agents out there. What the fuck can they do that would be like a really big holy shit moment, you know? Um, and th that's the big question mark. So I guess kind of figuring out what that is is kind of uh, intriguing unto itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the first time, I'm I'm in a long time, I'm excited to see what happens on Raw, not just tonight, but... Um you know, over the next month. So we've got a long old wait till the next pay-per-view again. Money in the Bank is over a month away. Um, but, uh, you know, you just look at the raft of people who now hold championships in the company, and it's difficult not to feel excited. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes down. Uh, and, uh, and I'll actually get to watch it live for once because I'm off work this evening, so yay for me. Uh, I do have to of course, wake up at 4 o'clock to go to work again in the morning, but, you know, that is kind of what that is. Um, and, well, we, we kind of made it through the whole show without uh, mentioning the fact that uh, this is our, our last show together for at least a good little while. Um, you are going to be missed, my friend. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I know you're still going to be all over LOP Radio. Um, you know, you've got oh, – hell, you're on half the week already. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so the, everybody out there is is still going to be able to get their fill of plan, uh, but well, but I am not, and uh, and that I, I, yeah, I'm going to miss that. Well, uh, it just seems a fortuitous time. I uh, we just recently had a tournament in the LOP forums called King of the Colonists Seven, which I was lucky enough to win. Um, I won the second King of the Colonists oh, well, record, there you are. second it's, ever it's King it's of the Colonists. It's a right Colonists. royal. It's a right royal aftershock. Um, well, the final column I wrote, uh, I wrote about uh, depending what was then the pending set Lesnar match, and I felt like this weekend was the I called it the be the end of the beginning of Seth Rollins' journey in WWE, uh, and it's also to my mind now the beginning of the beginning of the end of my journey at LOP. I've been here for eleven years uh, more uh, than eleven years actually. Uh, turned 30 this year, though, uh, and uh, it's time to refocus on, on dreams and aspirations that I had, uh, which were never, if I'm being honest, to be a wrestling columnist or a wrestling podcaster. Um, but it's, it's uh, you know, I've got a second book in the works that I'm still researching, still got to write it, publish it, advertise it. So I'm going to be around for another few years yet, but uh, it's a turning point uh, for me at LLP as well. So, and, and obviously part of that is having to step away from 
bit by bit, gradually over the next few years, my various uh, my various uh, obligations, well, they're not really obligations to be fair, but my various uh, obligations at LOP. Uh, sadly, starting here. But it's been a great year. And thank you for having me on, Steve. I'm sure you're going to tear it down, uh, burn it down from here on out, uh, solo uh, on these podcasts. Uh, and I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Absolutely. Uh, when we um, when we decided to get together to do this, it kind of was. I, I don't know that we were quite sure what we had. You know, I mean, we we always got on well. You know, but you never really know how you're going to bounce off of one another until you do it. You know, that, that's kind of the way that these things tend to go. Um, and uh, I, I think that it, it went f- fabulously. You know, I, I don't think it really could have gone much better. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. It's been my pleasure. Uh, and it's been really fulfilling to me, um, <clears throat> pardon me, to go from where we started to where we are now. You know, uh, just over a year ago, I was the guy who was, you know, sometimes on four days in a fucking row and yeah. and uh, just, you know, uh, all over the place. And then slowly over the course of, of this year, we've kind of transitioned to where you are now in that position and uh, it's been kind of cool to watch. Uh, it's been cool to watch you kind of evolve as a uh, as a presenter, um, and and just really kind of come into your own in many ways. Because I mean, you always you were always excellent as as a contributor to you know to this or to the right side of the pond and all that stuff. But to see you fully take the reins and and do your own thing has been very fulfilling and very uh, enjoyable to watch. Uh, or listen to, I suppose, in this instance. And uh, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound cloying or even uh, hopefully not condescending uh, in any way, but 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 I'm proud of you. Um, and and it's been it's been really cool to see that evolve over the course of last year. And yeah, I I, I wouldn't have done it with anybody else. Uh, it's it's been it's been a, a blast, an absolute blast. And uh, I mean. As I mentioned uh, when we spoke about this, when this was announced uh, last time we did one of these shows, I, uh, there's not going to be another co-host. Uh, maybe somebody will pop up here or there. You know, it's going to be kind of a one-off type thing. But there will be. It's probably just going to be me. Um, you know, going back to the way that this whole aftershock thing was before this partnership really took off. Uh, and um, you know, and hey, if you ever want to pop back in, of course, you know, I'm, you know where to find me, of course, and uh, and I'm sure these guys would absolutely love to hear it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we leave things. Is that uh, next time? I guess what is it? Money in the bank, I suppose. It's just going to be me. Uh, but there's still plenty of plan out there for you guys to sink your teeth into. And uh, how can they go about doing so? Um, well, at this stage, it feels like open the internet and I'll be there. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, every Sunday I post uh, the Sunday column on LOP, so you can catch that out with usually with my sort of general thoughts on on the week's events. Um, and at the end of every month, I do a uh, you know look back and name my matches in my usual five categories and my performer and my uh, sort of biggest uh, news items of the preceding month. So you can check those out. Uh, you can also catch me on Sports Entertainment is Dead every Wednesday, including the day after tomorrow, where I'll be doing the performance art review of the biggest matches at WrestleMania. Obviously, not all 16 of them, uh, but the biggest matches at WrestleMania. And then, of course, on the right side of the pond as well, on Fridays with Maverick and uh, Mazza, um, where we will do whatever the hell the mood takes us to do on the day. 
that we come to record it. Well, I would imagine there would be some talk of superstar shakeups and all that good stuff to come. No idea. <laughs> don't 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 over don't do not under any means by any means underestimate our lack of organization. Yeah, well, you know, hey, <laughs> that is what that is. We like to we like to call it in the ring most weeks. Right, right. I know that feeling very, very well. Uh, so yeah, I can I can definitely relate. Uh, but yeah, I guess that. Oh, and will... also of course I forgot to mention as well. Just milling around LOP forums all the time as well, so you can always oh of course LOP forums and uh, drop by maybe write a comment of your own. We've had a couple of new folks uh, start posting in recent weeks as well as an old hand turn back up again, uh, who sadly uh, sort of disappeared after the last board reset, but seems to have reappeared. Uh, and there's all kinds of tournaments going on and, and threads about you know everything from all kinds of wrestling organisations to TV and movies right. and news and, and all kinds of stuff. So. Uh, you can also check me around there if you want to sign up and, and uh, 